Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Back from the Borderline. I'm your host, Molly, and I don't want to talk to your personality. I want to talk to your soul. The idea of alchemy is to reduce something with fire, burning it down so that something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality too you can perform emotional alchemy. You've always had the power. You just didn't know it. And now you do. Our time together provides a chance for you to unhook from your overextended life to explore, understand, and integrate the darkest parts of your soul. On this podcast, there is no finish line, no quick fix or cure. There's no outcome, only eternal unfolding. More than 50% of us will be diagnosed with a mental illness at some point in our lifetime. The biomedical model of mental health tries to convince us that the root of our suffering is down to chemical imbalances in our malfunctioning brains, and that the best we can hope for is to numb or suppress our symptoms into remission. What if instead we viewed our symptoms as saviors? The definition of savior is one that saves from danger or destruction. Through this new lens, we can begin to see our painful mental health symptoms as natural responses 
that we can learn to become fully conscious of and slowly change. As alerts from our body, mind, and spirit that want to let us know when we're out of alignment with the deepest yearnings of our souls. From chaos comes clarity. Through working with and integrating the concepts we'll explore together, you'll emerge transformed, standing in the ashes of the person you used to be. To returning listeners of Back From The Borderline, welcome back to another episode. But to my new listeners, where this episode will be your very first episode of Back From The Borderline, and I presume there'll be quite a few of those because of the guests we're having today, welcome. I can imagine there's going to be a pretty even split. There's going to be a significant amount of people that find this episode of my podcast specifically because they are searching for more content around the Bledsoe family. And I imagine that will only continue to increase in the future as their story permeates the collective. But for listeners of my podcast who've been with me for a significant period of time, they might say, Molly, Back from the borderline, where you talk about depth psychology, philosophy, and mental well-being, why on earth is there an episode on this podcast feed that touches into high strangeness, the paranormal, non-human intelligence? If there's anything I've learned over the last three years of completely absorbing myself and learning about generational trauma, toxic shame, human psychology, and the ways that we develop coping mechanisms in childhood that once kept us safe and then turn maladaptive into adulthood that often turn into what we see as mental health or even physical health symptoms are a few things. One of which being, we don't know very much about consciousness. We don't know very much about the human personality. And the things we've been told about our personalities, about who we are and where we come from, and the nature of consciousness has shaped us into a society devoid of myth and meaning. And anyone who dares to step outside of these frameworks are often misbelieved, shunned, toxically shamed, and scapegoated. This episode is for anyone who feels like there has to be more. This episode is for anyone who has experienced something, dared to speak their truth, and wasn't believed. If anyone fits the bill as having come back from the borderline, it is my two guests that you'll be hearing from today. Against all odds, they dared to speak their truth. Before we dive into the interview with Chris and Ryan Bledsoe, I prepared a longer and more detailed introduction to the subject, especially for those who may be new to wrapping their mind around these topics. If you'd prefer to dive straight into the interview portion and skip the introduction, you can do so by navigating to the timestamps that I've included in the episode description. Those should make it easier for you to navigate this longer episode. Rather than interrupting the podcast midway through and breaking up the flow of the conversation with advertisements, I'm going to go ahead and slot in the ad break for the public feed listeners right here before we dive in. These dynamically inserted ads help me continue making this podcast for you and help listeners who choose to listen for free continue to do so. 
If you would prefer an ad-free experience of Back From the Borderline, you can always sign up for a Patreon membership via patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. My premium subscribers receive ad-free episodes, access to my private Discord community, as well as hundreds of hours of bonus content. So without further ado, let's dive into that ad break, and then we will jump straight in to the introduction I've prepared for you, and following that, my interview with Chris and Ryan Bledsoe. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Non-human intelligence or NHI, refers to encounters or experiences involving entities or phenomena that are not of human origin but display signs of intelligence. This could include encounters with extraterrestrial beings, unidentified flying objects or UFOs, or other unexplained phenomena that suggest a level of consciousness or intentionality beyond human understanding. In recent years, and exponentially since the summer of 2023, there's been a shift in societal attitudes toward non-human intelligence. While skepticism persists, there's a growing acknowledgement fueled by declassified government documents and credible testimonies that some encounters are not so easily explained or shrugged off. Society is becoming more open to the idea that there might be intelligent life beyond Earth and that some individuals claiming NHI experiences may have legitimate accounts. Individuals who have come forward in the last few decades, and even mystics going back hundreds of years, often share similar elements in their stories. These can include sightings of unusual aerial phenomena, encounters with beings not of this world, and experiences of altered states or dimensions. The consistency in these stories, despite coming from different individuals and locations, adds a layer of credibility to their accounts. Historically, individuals reporting experience with non-human intelligence have faced ridicule, 
skepticism, scapegoating, and toxic shame, and at times, active efforts to discredit or silence them. The media has often sensationalized their stories, framing them as sensational or delusional. Governmental agencies, instead of taking a serious investigative approach, have sometimes dismissed these reports outright, further contributing to the stigma surrounding those who come forward. In recent years, there has been a shift in the collective consciousness regarding the nature of consciousness and our place in the cosmos. Scientific advancements coupled with a more open-minded approach from certain government agencies have led to a reevaluation of these non-human intelligence experiences. The acknowledgement of unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAP, by military and government officials signifies a departure from the dismissive stance of the past, fostering a more serious and respectful examination of these encounters. This changing narrative contributes to a growing acceptance that there might be more to these experiences than previously thought. Ontological shock refers to the profound disorientation and discomfort one experiences when their fundamental understanding of reality is challenged or shattered. When faced with the idea of non-human intelligent life forms, individuals might experience ontological shock because it challenges the conventional and familiar frameworks through which they perceive the world. The extreme discomfort that can arise from ontological shock can lead some to outright dismiss any experiencers' accounts of what they went through as a defense mechanism to preserve their existing worldview and sense of stability. As governments disclose more information about unidentified aerial phenomena and encounters with non-human intelligence, it becomes increasingly crucial for society to adapt to the evolving understanding of reality. Embracing the idea of non-human intelligence helps mitigate the potential for widespread ontological shock in the future. By gradually incorporating these concepts into our collective consciousness, we can foster a more open-minded and informed approach to the changing narrative around extraterrestrial encounters. Most of the current discourse around non-human intelligence tends to center on questions on their physical existence, appearance, or technological capabilities, or wondering if they're here to kill us or hurt us or destroy the world. However, the profound nature of non-human intelligence experiences suggests that our focus might be misplaced. We might be asking the wrong questions entirely. Instead of fixating on the tangible and visible aspects, we may need to shift our inquiries toward understanding the nature of consciousness, the interconnectedness of realities, and the implications all of this has for our own existence and meaning in the universe. Accepting existence of non-human intelligence challenges us to redefine our understanding of reality, encouraging a more holistic perspective that encompasses dimensions beyond the immediately visible. This shift could prompt us to reconsider our place in the universe and the interconnected web of consciousness 
that extends beyond the limitations of our current understanding. Imagine if you experienced something extraordinary and you attempted to share it only to face disbelief, ridicule, shame, and scapegoating. This treatment can have severe psychological and physical consequences. The emotional toll includes feelings of isolation, betrayal, and erosion of one's sense of reality. The toxically shaming and scapegoating nature of such reactions can lead to profound self-doubt, anxiety, depression, and even PTSD. The consistent dismissal and mockery may create a sense of powerlessness, impacting self-esteem and overall mental well-being. And physically, the stress from this kind of treatment can manifest in various ways, contributing to issues like sleep disturbances, digestive problems, and exacerbating pre-existing health conditions. This is how emotional and psychological distress and toxic shaming can quite literally lead to dis-ease. Society risks missing out on valuable insights and perspectives when individuals reporting non-human intelligence experiences are summarily dismissed. By shutting down these narratives, we deny ourselves the opportunity to expand our understanding of the universe and consciousness itself. Every dismissed story represents a lost opportunity for exploration, potentially hindering scientific and spiritual advancements. Moreover, the refusal to listen and engage in open dialogue perpetuates a culture of skepticism and ridicule, discouraging others from coming forward with their experiences. However, by actively listening, asking questions, and fostering curiosity, we gain the potential for a broader and more nuanced comprehension of our very own existence, our connection to the cosmos, and the nature of reality itself. This openness can lead to a more empathetic and understanding society that embraces diverse perspectives and explores the unknown with a sense of wonder. You might be wondering at this point, especially if you're a long-term listener of the podcast, why on earth, Molly, are you talking about non-human intelligence on Back from the Borderline, where we usually discuss philosophy, mysticism, spirituality, depth psychology, and overall mental well-being. Long-term listeners will know that I recently did an eight-part series on the impact of toxic shame. I also did another deep dive on scapegoating abuse and the impact that they both can have on the psychological and physical well-being of the people that are subjected to it. As I was wrapping up my series on scapegoating, I happened to be listening to another one of my favorite podcasts, The Duncan Trussell Family Hour. Hosted by comedian and actor Duncan Trussell, the podcast is known for its eclectic mix of topics ranging from comedy, philosophy, spirituality, mysticism, and psychedelics. The podcast often explores topics related to consciousness, the nature of reality, mindfulness, and the human experience overall. And one day, I was listening to an episode, not expecting much, but enjoying the podcast as I normally do, but this time my interest was particularly piqued because Duncan was interviewing someone named Ryan Bledsoe. 
And as I listened to Ryan's experience, I was profoundly touched. The Bledsoe family's lives took an extraordinary turn in 2007 when they had a series of profound and otherworldly encounters, most notably during a camping trip along the Cape Fear River in North Carolina. These experiences involved the sighting of unidentified flying objects, orbs, and encounters with non-human intelligent entities. The encounters were not isolated events, but unfolded over a period, revealing a complex narrative of contact with beings that Ryan's father, Chris Bledsoe Sr., describes as benevolent and spiritually advanced. Their experiences encompass a range of phenomena, from strange lights in the sky, to direct communication with entities, including an enigmatic figure referred to as the Lady. The family's journey extends beyond the initial encounters involving struggles with societal skepticism, media sensationalism, and unfortunately, the betrayal of their own community and some of their own family members. This led to periods of isolation, public ridicule, and scapegoating, marked by challenges that affected their emotional and physical well-being. Despite the adversities, the Bledsoe family has demonstrated remarkable resilience. Their experiences have evolved into a message of hope, unity, and love, emphasizing a broader perspective on non-human intelligence and its potential impact on humanity, a positive impact on humanity. The Bledsoe family has become a beacon for those who have faced similar experiences, highlighting the importance of empathy, open-mindedness, and a shared exploration of the mysteries that connect us to the cosmos. As I was listening to Ryan discuss his family's experiences with Duncan Trussell, my heart went out to this family and what they had been through. And at the end of the episode, Ryan mentioned that his father, Chris Bledsoe Sr., had written a book called UFO of God. Immediately, something inside of me told me I needed to buy and read this book. What compelled me to want to read more about Chris's experiences in his own words was the spiritual nature of the phenomena he described and the mystical aspect of his experiences. It piqued my interest, and so I bought the book and I devoured it in a matter of two days. Chris's book, UFO of God, offers a deeply personal and spiritually charged perspective on his encounters with non-human intelligence. This book is different than other material I've encountered on NHI or UFO or UAPs because of its narrative style, its blending of personal experiences with philosophical reflections on the nature of reality and the spiritual dimension of these encounters. It seems as though current discourse and the majority of people are wanting sensational reports of alien bodies and flying saucers. That's not what you get with Chris and his family's stories. The book is structured as a collection of short stories, each recounting different aspects of Chris's experiences and the impact they had on his life and family. 
rather than a conventional UFO book that focuses solely on the events themselves. UFO of God delves into the emotional and spiritual dimensions of these encounters. Chris presents his experiences as a form of spiritual communication, challenging readers to consider the possibility of a higher intelligence reaching out benevolently to humanity. The story includes a range of experiences with the phenomena, from details of Chris's viewings of what he calls orbs, and also the profound messages he received during these experiences. Chris shares how these events triggered a personal transformation and a deepening of his understanding of spirituality. The book invites the reader to contemplate the meaning of these extraordinary events and their potential implications for our collective consciousness. What sets UFO of God apart is its emphasis on the transformative and mystical aspects of these encounters. It goes beyond the conventional narratives of extraterrestrial visitations. The book explores the interconnectedness of all life, the nature of spiritual or divine communication, and a profound impact of these experiences on an individual's perception of reality. It serves as a bridge between the mysterious and the spiritual, encouraging readers to approach the UFO phenomena with an open heart and a broader perspective. After I devoured the book in a matter of days, I sat with the material. And it's not something I've opened up about on the podcast publicly before, but I had a more mystical experience a few years ago when I was in a really low emotional place. And some of the things that Chris heard from some of his experiences that he detailed in the book struck a personal and profound chord with me, so much so that I added Ryan Bledsoe, Chris's son and guest on the Duncan Trussell podcast on Instagram and decided to send him a message. I know how crazy DMs can get, so I didn't know if I would receive a response, but I shared the impact that the book had on me. I shared with Ryan that I had recently completed some deep dives on toxic shame and scapegoating and how I felt so deeply for his family as I was reading the book because these themes were emerging as I was reading and having done so much research on this stuff just for the last few weeks before reaching out to him, it hit me in a deeper and more profound way. I said that I would love to have Chris and his dad on the podcast to talk not necessarily just about their experiences because Chris and Ryan have been on a lot of podcasts. Ryan even has his own podcast. But whenever I've heard them interviewed, it seems like people want to ask them the same questions about the aliens, the UFOs. I wanted to talk to them about what it was like to be publicly and toxically shamed and scapegoated on such a massive scale. I wanted to have an interview with them like I hadn't heard before. Because after I read the book, I was diving into every possible interview I could find. So I hit send on the message. And to my surprise, a few days later, Ryan DM'd me back. 
and he said he was touched by my message and he asked if I'd like to hop on a call. And I was floored because having binged so many interviews with this family, with Chris and his dad, and listening to Ryan's podcast and having just gobbled up this book, I couldn't believe how excited I was to be able to speak to Ryan in person and hear more about his story. So we hopped on a call and to both of our surprise, we were talking for over two hours. We shared so much in common in terms of our niche interests of mysticism and esotericism and depth psychology. And I knew instantly that I had met what was going to be a very good friend. And after we wrapped our call, Ryan said, I'm going to go and tell my dad about you. We'll see if he's open to doing an interview, but he's got a lot coming up. So we wrapped our call and sure enough, I get a text back from Ryan, but he said, I just told my dad all about you. We'd love to come on your podcast, but first we think that you should come here to North Carolina so that you can experience the phenomena for yourself. I was floored. I did not expect this invitation, but immediately I knew I had to jump at the opportunity. It just so happened that my husband Zaz's birthday was coming up and I decided to very impulsively book tickets to North Carolina. And in a matter of a couple of weeks, Zaz and I pulled up to the Bledsoe family property, met by Ryan, his dad, Chris Bledsoe, his mom, Yvonne, and their two dogs, Buddy and Biscuit. Zaz and I had the opportunity to sit down with Ryan, Chris, and Yvonne for two and a half hours, getting to ask all the questions that we had. Then we all shared dinner together, and while we were at the dinner table, you could see Chris start to get really anxious. And Ryan said, come on, Dad. We have to, we have to enjoy the meal. And Chris was going, we got to get back. It's starting to get dark. He was so ready and driven to get back to Skywatch. We wrapped up dinner and it was dark by then. And so we made the three minute drive back to the Bledsoe family property. Their property is an expansive piece of land with a beautiful pond. And it leads up and backs up onto massive amounts of trees, dense forest. Zaz, Ryan, Chris, and I all sat down on lawn chairs and looked up into the sky. The first thing I remember thinking was, shit, I'm going to be the only person that this phenomena doesn't show up for. (laughs) Showing how intense my inner critic is in my mind. And as if He could read my mind. Ryan said, don't worry. Sometimes it takes a little bit. We just have to sit here and as long as it takes. It was a full moon. And so the sky was a lot brighter than it typically was. And there was a lot of cloud cover. So we were already a little bit anxious that the conditions weren't exactly right. But Chris had repeated multiple times throughout the night that he felt like something would happen at 9 p.m. 
So we stayed out there chatting and Ryan, Zaz and I got a little off topic. We all get along really, really well. So we were engaged in deep conversation with one another. And soon Chris said, we just need to all get into a meditative state, focus together so that we can show the phenomena that we are there and ready and open to interact with it. And so the conversation calmed down and I got into a conversation myself with Chris. Chris is no stranger to traumatic instances in life and something interesting about him is he's been known to be involved in some pretty miraculous healings since his experiences with the phenomena, which he details in his book. I opened up to Chris about my own experiences with sexual abuse and assault and how badly I was working on myself to heal from these things. And he compassionately listened to me. And just as I was detailing my experiences, from outside the right corner of my eye, a massive, flaming, golden ball of light shot in an arc form just about 15 feet above mine and Chris's heads. And in tandem, we both caught glimpse of it and our heads arched watching it arch over us. And my husband Zaz caught the very tail end of it. And then what did we hear? The sound of Chris's iPhone timer go off. It was 9 p.m., exactly the time he said the phenomena would show up. Throughout the rest of the night, we were able to catch five to six more instances of beautiful but much smaller glowing orbs dancing through the sky. We saw flashbulb photography style flashes in the forest. Zaz and I couldn't quite believe what we experienced. Ryan and Chris sat with us for about three and a half hours and around midnight, it was time for us to go to bed and the Bledsoe's graciously allowed us to stay with them on their property. Zaz and I went to bed barely able to sleep at the reality shifting experience we just had. The following day, when we woke up, we said farewell to the Bledsoe's. I offered Chris a special gift that I had gotten for him. And then we headed back to the airport to fly back home. And as we waited to board our flight and on both of our connecting flights back, we could barely even speak. It felt weird to even look at my cell phone after what had happened. How could I go back to normal life after experiencing something so reality shifting, so transformative? 
When we got back, Ryan and I maintained our communication. I shared with him some articles and niche research I had done on some of our shared interests, our special interest topics. And it came the time where he asked me to come on as a guest to his podcast, Bledsoe Said So, to detail my experiences with him and his best friend, Nick, who is also a host of the show. I had a great time and then it came to schedule Ryan and his dad's interview on my podcast. And that is what you're about to hear now. Chris Bledsoe stands as a highly credible and accountable witness in the realm of UFO and non-human intelligence encounters. Notably, John Simavan, who is a former CIA officer, wrote the foreword to Chris's book, adding an additional layer of credibility to his accounts. The validation extends beyond individual endorsements, as the History Channel dedicated an episode to Chris Bledsoe in their series, Beyond Skinwalker Ranch. This documentary-style exploration not only showcases his experiences, but also involves scientific scrutiny. The History Channel crew, including a neuroscientist, went to great lengths to analyze Chris Bledsoe's brainwaves while he engaged in skywatching. This scientific approach adds another layer of legitimacy to his encounters, demonstrating a commitment to rigorous examination. Furthermore, the documentary reveals that the phenomena manifested to the entire History Channel crew, leaving them awestruck, filled with wonder. Some of them even moved to tears. The collective nature of these experiences witnessed by such a big, diverse group of individuals adds weight to the argument that there's something extraordinary occurring in Chris Bledsoe's encounters. Chris's uniqueness in the field lies in his purported connection to this phenomena. He goes beyond merely recounting past experiences. He can predict when the phenomena will appear. This ability adds a predictive and interactive element to his encounters, setting him apart from many other witnesses in the UFO, UAP, and NHI community. His continued efforts to share these experiences with others only further solidifies his credibility. I know, because I was there. He continues to host weekly events on his property. He invites people to witness the phenomena firsthand, this provides an opportunity for others to share in his experiences. Chris also has the ability to connect with people remotely, simultaneously observing the phenomena in different parts of the country and world. I witnessed firsthand as I was sitting with Chris, he shared with me a WhatsApp group of an entire group of people in Spain who he had helped witness the phenomena. I listened to their voice notes of shock and awe that they were sending back. Chris Bledsoe's credibility is enhanced by the support of influential figures, the scrutiny of scientific analysis, and the unique interactive nature of his ongoing encounters with the phenomena. The diverse and collective validation from various sources contributes to the compelling narrative surrounding his experiences. And listeners of this podcast, especially ones who have been with me from the very beginning, know that I only speak about things that I know to be true. 
I'm so glad and honored that Chris and Ryan invited me to experience this for myself. And not only did I witness this, my husband Zaz did too. And both of us are forever changed. And so it is my honor to bring you my conversation with Chris and Ryan Bledsoe. All right, everyone, welcome to the Back from the Borderline podcast. I'm here with two very special guests, and Ryan and Chris both know that I will have just played a long, detailed introduction for all of you where you'll have heard about the basics of their story and a little bit about who they are, and you'll hear from both of them soon. But Chris, I would love to start by asking you You've been through a pretty remarkable journey. And if anyone has come back from the borderline, it's both you and your family. And before we dive into the events that happened in 2007 and beyond, can you share a little bit about your early life and the challenges that you faced when you were growing up? Well, um, I grew up in rural Eastern North Carolina on a dirt road beside my grandmother and grandpa, which had a, a small farm. My dad was a farmer, grew up farming and got into the construction business when he was 18. He was ready to get out of farming when I come along, but yet I still had to work on the farm and with him. So I did, but I grew up on a farm working and doing construction work all my life. Uh, we lived in a little mobile home that was 10 by 40. That's 400 square feet with my mother and dad and my sister. We shared a, a bunk beds, one room, till I was uh, right at 13 years old. We finally moved out of that and moved into our first home. Uh, um, but I come up hard. I come up working. I come up uh, for some reason my, my mother and everybody tried to protect me because I ended up getting hurt for weird reasons. Nobody knew why, but at two years old, I write about this in the book. Uh, I was, I caught fire. I got too close to fire and it caught my pants on fire and put third degree burns on my legs. And, and by the time I was six, I had 24 stitches in my bottom lip and, uh, so many more. By the time I was 10 years old, I was shot point blank in the back with a shotgun. Had a near-death experience there. And it just kept right on going. And so I, I grew up wondering, is there something trying to kill me? Is there something I'm supposed to do someday? Is there a force trying to stop that? I, and I've wondered that all my life because of the way things things happen. Uh, it always seemed not my fault. Like, you know, cars blowing up on me, a brand new car, radiator exploded, put me in the hospital with third degree burns, 2,000 miles on me. So imagine. It's almost like the movie Final Destination. I was wondering, is there something out to get me? Is it in the stars, right? So, but anyhow, that's, uh, I was happy. I didn't know anybody. You just were going going through all this stuff and just moving from the next thing to the next thing. That it actually yeah. brings me to my next question. You know, before these direct experiences with what you 
you know, describe as the phenomena. How did you view growing up? How did you view UFOs, UAPs, and all this related information? Were you a skeptic, a believer, or were you in between? Well, I was so um, I was so far out in the country back in those days, and North Carolina had very little population back then. I was about four million people, and sixty-two years. I'm sixty-two years old, so. And, 1961 there wasn't that many people and so with that said we had our tv was one that had an antenna that was you had to go out manually turn it by hand and you could get two channels is it so i never knew about those kinds of things i never heard of uh, space and all that but i was obsessed with with the moon i did watch batman and robin growing up and Superman and that kind of thing on Saturday morning, but the rest of my time was working outside in the garden, on the farm, cropping tobacco, raising hogs. So I was sheltered from that. And up until I had children, I was building upwards of 100 homes a year, raising four kids. I never thought about such stuff, ever. You already talked a little bit about it, but the traumatic experiences that you faced didn't even stop in your childhood. You continued throughout your life to experience significant trauma, losses, psychological suffering, and near-death experiences. How have these experiences shaped your perspective on life and the world? It almost seemed reading your book like you were being prepared for your later experiences. Do you feel like what you went through in your life somehow influenced your receptivity for the profound experiences that you would have later? Absolutely, it did. It played hand in hand. In fact, in my book, I talk about being poisoned by a doctor and toxic blood poisoning. From that point on, nothing was the same for me. I never really got over that. It was just such severe injury that it took me years to, to even think I was back to feeling like I, I normally felt. But what it did, it opened me up to where I could see things that nobody else could see. Now, by saying that, my son is sitting here and he can tell you, they used to think when they were younger, I mean, he was probably eight or nine years old. His mother would, after I come out of the hospital, from this experience, I had toxic blood poisoning. Where, if you're even if you're on Tylenol, a lot of Tylenol, they check your liver, right, to see how your levels are. Well, some of the meds I was taking that this doctor had put me on, uh, he never checked my blood, and it caused this toxic poisoning. It drove me basically into my own little world. I can't explain it. I got I lost touch with reality for a while because of the medication. I mean, this was all before I went to the hospital. Nobody knew this was happening, right? But it did. But when I came out of that hospital, I could see things walking around that I would point out and say, look, and they would film it and say, you're crazy. You're not, you're seeing things. Right? Yeah, this, this medication was a psychiatric medication, right? Because I experienced uh, something similar when I was on a psychiatric medication. They put me on this antipsychotic early on and it really messed with my levels. I had to go and get my liver levels tested and all sorts of things when I was on this medication. And if they hinted, yeah. even they detected the tiniest change, like they'd be taking you off that medication. So this, right. this psychiatrist of yours clearly was not doing his job very well, to put it mildly. <laughs> what he did, uh, and it's just in the book, he was on drugs. 
taking his own medication. And nobody knew it. Nobody paid attention to the signs. And he was a new doctor for me. I mean, I was being treated for Crohn's disease, right? Mm-hmm. I had Crohn's so severe. The, the doctor's like, you should be on Paxil, this antidepressant medication. So he put me on Paxil and thought it would be good that I go to this doctor and let him, uh, because I was losing money. I was losing, I had 72 houses on the market for sale at a thousand dollars a pop every month in interest. So I'm shedding 70, 80,000 plus my office overhead, close to a hundred grand a month. And after a couple, three years of that, I was out of cash and my Crohn's had gotten so bad. The doctor decided to treat me uh, as another source of treatment with antidepressants because stress makes the disease worse, Crohn's. You were having a perfectly normal reaction to the most like devastating thing a family could go through. And you are the one who's been able to provide for and give your family this amazing life and it's all falling apart. And they're like, oh take this medication. That'll fix yeah. it. It's like, It'll yeah, okay. It, right? what, what we didn't know was this doctor was self-medicating and he was medicating some really bad stuff because he OD'd and died. When, when I was in the hospital, I was completely covered up head to toe with a sheet over my body. And I come up to where I could see down in the room and I saw my wife sitting there and three doctors walk in. The lights were dim. And I heard the doctor say, this sure is a shame. This is the 113th person that this doctor has put in the hospital. I was the 113th patient hospitalized. And this doctor was dead. When I got out of the hospital, he was dead. He overdosed and died. So that's the kind of thing that I always wondered. It's It's not my fault. But the big thing was it opened me up to seeing things that, I saw 15 years to prove nobody would believe me, um, but now they all do. Mm-hmm. Everybody that's been here, uh, pretty much, witnesses, government witnesses, even yourself, you've yeah. experienced this stuff. Saz and I both experienced it firsthand. The listeners will have heard a little bit in the introduction about some of the experiences that you've had. I've done a whole episode already, Zaz and I, for my premium subscribers about our experience on your property. Ryan, my next question is for you. So much of the discourse around UAP, aliens, these buzzwords that are often used around this kind of stuff, there's a lot of fear and anxiety associated with non-human intelligence discourse. I'll call it that, NHI. But after reading the book, I came away with a sense of awe and inner peace. I cried so much throughout the book. It was so inspirational. How do you view the current discourse on UAPs and non-human intelligence? And what message do you have for those who are watching on and seeing a lot of this come out? Because at the time of recording, we're in November 2023. And this whole summer, we saw the Senate hearings about this stuff. As Chris mentioned, when he was growing up, this was number one part of your life was nobody's talking about it. Then then you were alive during like the 50s and 60s when people were really getting stigmatized and shamed. It was all about abductions and anal probing and God knows what else, cattle abductions. And now we're here in a very different place. So Ryan, what do you have to say about this fear and anxiety that's lingering? Because it feels like there's just been decades long campaigns to paint this as something scary. 
I feel like people always have a fear of the unknown. It's like your classic horror movie trope. You're in the dark in your house or in your apartment or whatever. You look in the other room and I know there's a lot of people out there that get that sensation like, you know, I know there's nothing in there, but I can't help but feel uneasy peering into this dark room. And I think that's just at the very basic level of human psychology. We're always in anticipation of dread or fear of something that we don't know or don't understand. And then you take this other layer of what's going on here and you have this multi-generational push of the elite members of society constantly pushing out this dark, scary information about what's what's going on in the world and what's going on out there and couple that with building this very narrow-minded, materialistic view of the world and how things work. And then here we are now, cut to 2023, where people really have no clue what to believe. They have no clue what's going on. But what I would say is that my father and I and my siblings and my mother have experienced these, you could say, entities or this phenomenon in such a, an extreme, shocking level of volume, which, you know, Molly, you can you did get a taste of that. One night you came to our property and you probably saw 30 with your own eyes. Well, take that volume of experiences over the regular course of 17 years with us of a family witnessing these things together. Well, now we're talking in the thousands, right? And I can honestly tell you that not one single bad thing has ever occurred from these entities. And in fact, it's the opposite. As my dad can tell you, he's right there in the middle of it in, in, in ground zero of these experiences. Um, so many miracles have occurred where people have been miraculously healed or miraculously transformed inside out where they're finding that they have more of a connection to the spiritual world and God and the higher forces. And I would say that the beings themselves are a very positive force, but we shouldn't believe everything that we see out there on the TV and on the news. An out-of-the-box thinker, we know it has been established that there are a measly six corporations that own the entire global media conglomerate. There are six companies that own all of the media. So why should we believe them anyway? It's more important than ever to have your own direct experiences if possible, and also to just have a heavy level of skepticism. But I think unfortunately, a lot of people are skeptical. And so therefore, they're skeptical even of the people who are telling their own truth. I mean, you only have to do one search on Reddit. And I saw so many people just saying, oh yeah, Chris Bledsoe is full of shit. Ryan Bledsoe is full of shit. And I'm just going, these people have never met you. I stood with my own two feet, with my husband on your property and saw this with my own two eyes. I wish that I could magically allow everyone to have that experience because for me, as like a lifelong skeptic, I had never had any direct experience. I've had more mystical experiences where I have a feeling and a knowing, but witnessing that was just paradigm shifting for me and that brings me into my next question actually for chris chris i think most people would describe your experiences as that of like a mystic more mystical experience i don't even like the phrase paranormal because i say it on my podcast everything's <laughs> paranormal until it's normal and you've encountered what you believe to be some form of and words are always going to suck when we're talking about this stuff but it's like divine cosmic intelligence and the actual definition of a mystic is someone who receives insights that are beyond the intellect 
And I really think that defines you. If you were born in the Middle Ages, you would be seen as a mystic right now, right? You may even be being burned at the stake. What and how has your perspective on the phenomena, this divine cosmic intelligence, changed you since this first encounter in 2007 and more importantly the subsequent encounters where you encountered the figure of the lady if you read the book you'll see where i was at the bottom of my life ready to give up i had just come through this near death at the hospital with this doctor poisoning me and i'm still dealing with crohn's disease at a level of in the restroom 20 25 times a day my whole insides were raw and swollen and you have inflammatory bowel problems with crohn's it causes it all to swell so that's where i was and so i was at the lowest point questioning life why am i here but i love nothing more than my wife and children that's all that mattered to me growing up um you know i've been married 41 years to I'll be with her 41 years in December 1st or 2nd is when I met her. It, it was the worst thing to deal with all this sickness. And then I'm out crying out to, to God, help me. Just so happened to be fishing with my son and three other guys. They were fishing. I wasn't. I just took them. And I was actually contemplating everything from why am I here? Uh, is it life worth living? Yes, my children. That's, I was going through this in my head all day for weeks and weeks and weeks, carrying this burden and not telling anyone. And I walked away from them while they were having fun about a half a mile or less away and walked up on what looked like the setting sun. And then there were two, and then there were three. And they took me away and they brought me back and they my whole life was energized oh my god this beautiful thing happened these these big balls of fire came out of the sky i was you know i was seeking help and it came i don't have crohn's anymore how wonderful but suddenly the whole community the churches my family was pentecostal holiness uh, my wife and her family and my mother's side baptist and so the whole community said automatically uh, if they were still burning at the stake, they would have already had burned me. I'm still being ostracized to this very day. You're playing with the devil. So it got so bad. I'm shouting. I was praying to God. I was healed. I'm not the same person anymore. But now things are worse because the community has turned on me. My church has thrown me out, basically. He told me, you can never talk about it again if you want to go to church if you go to church you can never talk about it i'm like i've got to tell this to somebody this is the greatest thing in the world i wasn't praying to the devil i was praying to god and these balls of fire came so that's how my book became ufo of god and so for the next five six years i called it the five years of darkness because my kids were suffering at the worst then they were going to school elementary school and middle school and high school and being called out in front of their friends and and at 15 and 16 and 14 years old it's the worst time for them to be embarrassed in front of their girls you know my young boys trying to find girlfriends and all this was happening i really have a problem with the community it wasn't the phenomenon but the inside out it changed me it changed me from wanting to hunt and be a a, a hunter to where i cry if i see an animal get hurt now 
it changed me to where I can stand out on my pond and some 100, 150 wild mallards are flying and fly right up to me and gather around my feet. Wild ducks, who does that? Coyotes and other animals, they come around me. They're not afraid. But I used to be a hunter, a murderer, you might say. I killed animals. And now I regret every one I ever harmed. That's how it changed me. It healed me. It set me up on a, a different way of thinking. It made me like earth and life and my family and individuals, people. It made me feel sorry for those people that are persecuting me. I get angry about it and then I have to cool down and then I feel sorry for it. And today it's only gotten better and greater and it's come full circle. Except with these skeptics, but you know what? They're just uninformed. And there's no change in them. And that's okay. It's, it's programming is all. Brian, what was that like for you to watch the change in your dad? What, how, you know, obviously you knew the version of your dad before all this began. And then what was that like for you as his kid? Because you were quite young when it all started happening. And then now you've matured. And take yourself back to Ryan before you were like mystical explorer Ryan. You know, the, the Ryan that was just a kid watching his dad and his brother also go through this. I have fond memories of hunting and things like that, fishing and all those normal things that people in our community did. Because at the end of the day, we are from North Carolina and it, it is still up until recently, I would say it was it was an extremely rural, deeply Southern culture where like out here, if you weren't hunting or fishing or doing some manly thing like carpentry or whatnot you weren't even considered a man and i do have very fond memories of haunting with my dad i mean like with dad's help i killed my first bear at eight years old and then by the time i'm 13 years old my dad's getting angry at us if we squash a bug you see what i'm saying i never liked killing the animals my point is that's how we were never liked it i i did shoot a, a bird one time when i was 11 years old and i felt very sad for three days and it was mm -hmm. never for me anyway so i actually very strongly welcomed the change and mm -hmm. i just i brought all that up to say that i watched my father for the first 13 years of my life be a very hard individual and then by the time i'm a young teenager he's scooping spiders up with a piece of paper and escorting them out the door and teaching us don't kill don't do this i never hunted again another day in my life and neither has my dad and you know watching these changes was very surreal for me growing up being pentecostal holiness which for those out there who don't know what that is, it is one of the very most strict forms of Christianity. I say that respectfully, but it's only a couple layers removed from Amish, where they have their own ascetic communities away from society. We were Pentecostal. I mean, I guess we could say still are, right? Because the majority of our family is. And I remember being a little boy obsessed. Every time I went to church, if I didn't get away with whipping my Game Boy out and playing during service, which I did do sometimes, if I wasn't doing that because my grandma or my mom was popping me on the wrist, I was grabbing the Bible, and which I later found out my dad did the same thing when he was young. I was obsessively reading the book of Revelations over and over and over and over and over and over. Interesting. What captured you about that? Because for anybody who grew up Christian, they know that Revelation is the most mysterious uh, book of the Bible. And as a kid, I was always obsessed with understanding what those deeper mysteries meant. Of course, you never find that out only reading the Bible. It doesn't explain the mysteries to you. But the point is, I was drawn to them. I was constantly reading this book, trying to understand what it meant, what it was all about. I felt this pull to penetrating into these deeper mysteries, but I was always seeking something more. And then dad comes home 
I'm only 13 years old. He starts saying he saw these beings. Immediately, I believed him. I knew that it was all something special, that it was something divine. And dad can tell you right here that ever since that day that I found out about it, I was always coming to him in private because my mom forbid us talking about it. I was always coming to him in private, begging him. I want to know more. I want to see. I want to experience. By the time I'm 18, I'm having my own very bizarre encounter. And then by the time I'm about 22 or 23, I'm seeing entities in my room. It progressed very fast. I think the thing that stands out to me so much about like your original question, watching him change from inside the house, by the time I'm about 15 or 16, he starts talking about reincarnation. And that really rocked my world. And I couldn't get my head around what that meant. I couldn't process, why is my dad coming home one day and he's talking about these things that you know, we're really not supposed to be talking about from a Christian perspective. And it progressed from there, and I started to notice what we now understand to be downloads, right? We now understand, and the History Channel proved this without a shadow of a doubt with the most cutting-edge fringe mystical science available with these cutting-edge brain caps and these AI cameras. We now know we have the full proof that he does have this relationship with these entities, that his brain is not only normal, but more so like super normal. We know that he's communicating with these things. I now understand that back then he was getting downloads. He was getting these rapid downloads in my teenage years, and it was a lot for me to process and try to understand. And going from being Pentecostal to being pulled away from that and to having these more mystical face-to-face entity encounters. I believed it the whole time. Even if I had trouble understanding something, I always believed, and I was like, I'll figure it out later. I mean, it kind of is a benefit that you were younger then because children are much more, we're much more open. I imagine people get a lot more set in their beliefs and are less likely to want to believe in something more mystical and amazing when they're older. They're much more rejecting. I had a question that can be for you both, actually. Anyone who's experienced with psychedelics or had their own mystical experience or experienced phenomena on their own, they're so many people out there who've had these kind of experiences but they've just never spoken about it i think it's just hard to even put these experiences into words to even find words that fit because for me even speaking about it i find myself going i hear words coming out of my mouth but they don't match it doesn't do justice to what i experienced and i'm curious to know what it's been like for both of you maybe chris you can begin have you found that difficult to you do a great job you obviously wrote a whole book about it but i can imagine that there's even elements that you probably still are unable to even convey i've been very reserved at trying to label this thing i try to stay away from that even though i know down inside what i know yeah there's a whole lot that i haven't conveyed it's far more incredible the world around us than we can ever imagine. I don't see it like everybody does. In the UFO world, they see these beings coming in a flying saucer and their commander Thor is driving the machine and they have all these names in these places and who knows all this stuff? Who knows that? Nobody does. I mean, who are they fooling? Are they believing that themselves? I've been doing this for 17 years. Two months, it'll be 17 years. It came in 2007, January the 8th, on the river that day, and it never left me, never. And right after I got home telling my family, it wasn't long, they began to see it with me. Mm -hmm. And they watched it progress with me from once every couple, three weeks, an orb would appear. I would see them all the time. 
But for me to be able to share with my whole family, I had to jerk them out of bed at two and three in the morning. Say, look, there's an orb big as a house sitting in the backyard in the trees. I mean, huge thing. (laughs) But now it's progressed into something that you saw, Molly. Just a month ago, Ryan and I had a group to meet us on Wilmington at uh, Wrightsville Beach. Rather, I get hundreds of people wanting to come to my house, and I had to put a stop because I would never have a free day. It would be 50 here every day. I mean, I could literally bring a 1,000 people here in a week if I put the word out. So what we want to do is share this with everyone. We're experimenting with small groups in different cities. So we were down on the beach in Wrightsville Beach a month ago and had, I don't know, 10 or 12 people there. As soon as I asked for it to appear, I didn't even get the words out. We had a light show. Seven or eight orbs just appeared at once. Started streaking around above us. But that's how it's progressed. It's, It's gotten into something that is really amazing to me. Honestly, where is it going? I don't know. But it's par for the times. Yeah. In other words, we got scary times right now. The world's in trouble. If everybody was to think back in World War II, there were Foo Fighters. They called them Foo Fighters. I remember. I just learned fire, about this. Right? Yeah. There's a, a singing group called Foo Fighters. Yeah. But these balls of fire, these orbs would fly along with their airplanes and escort them in and escort them out of the battlefields. And what were they? They didn't know what they were. Wow. And back then, they were only observing. But now they're observing a whole lot more. And they're communicating. And those same orbs is who we've proven on television with scientists for the first time in history, with brain scan equipment, with neuroscientists watching. For context for the listeners, because Ryan mentioned this too, recently, Chris was featured in an episode of a show on the History Channel (coughs) called Beyond Skinwalker Ranch. And I believe it's episode eight of the first season. Yeah. And they actually hook... Chris up to this brain scanning device and with like a neuroscientist, right? Who's there on the property watching the scan, confirming and everyone around you just, I can't even imagine what the energy must have been like to actually be there because just as a viewer watching the show, you could see all of these people, these official people, the film crew just going, oh my God, we're actually witnessing because the thing listeners that sets Chris apart, there's so many people that have had paranormal experience, high strangeness experience is Chris's particular connection to these experiences. He's able to, and I'm going to open it up to you, Chris, there's an ability for you to communicate with them. I witnessed it when Zaz and I were there, Ryan, we talked about this on your episode. Your dad literally said, it's going to be around nine o'clock. And I was like, are you kidding me? And sure enough, it happened at nine o'clock. Can you explain to the listeners, Chris, how you perceive this connection and how it was validated on this History Channel episode? Well, uh, if you watch that show, you'll hear the host say, we don't know how he does it, but he can predict to the minute every day when the orbs would appear. They were here seven days filming. And every single day, I would tell them what time. Uh, one day it was six of one, six o'clock. It'll be, it'll appear beside Jupiter. The star will be high in the bright in the daylight sky. You'll be able to see the star in the daylight, and it'll appear next to it at six o'clock. And at six o one, it appeared in front of the whole History Channel crew. But it did it every day like that. And so, how do I do it? I hear them. It's not a voice, right? Is it just like a knowing? 
It's telepathy is the best word I can find for it. And that's the government term because they're studying this with me. Let's just say like a television screen. If you're watching image after image change on the TV screen, I can be watching you like right now. And suddenly this thought, this scenario will pop in my head and I can't even see you for the second. It's like they wow. turn it on and turn it off that quick. It comes into my head. It completely gets my attention, and it'll be the information that I get. We'll be here at 6 o'clock next to Jupiter. That's what I, I hear it, and a visual thing, but a knowing at the same time, uh -huh. but not hearing it as an audible thing. It's telepathy. It's a vision, but it's a knowing. It's like the download Ryan's talking about. I know it. I know it good enough. It's going to be at 6 o'clock today. Be here. Wow. And the whole crew would be here, and it would happen. So. And and it's like that at night. Often I'll uh, be sitting in my house, and I've done this over and over and over with government officials and everyone. All of a sudden, I'm like, "Oh, we got to go outside. They're here now." And we open the door, and they're hovering right over the house. So two and three of them is just above the trees coming across. And how did you know that? John Alexander wrote a book, U.S. Army Colonel. I was about to say, tell people who John Alexander is first. John is the government's paranormal investigator. He's a U.S. Army colonel with a Ph.D. from Harvard. He ran Los Alamos National Laboratories for uh, non-lethal weapons. He's a big will in the realm of the government. He picks up the phone and he calls senators at any time he wants. That's the kind of guy he is. No but joke. The president has a, a UFO experience. He'll go see John. CIA members, senators, they go to see John. John is the guy. He's, he's investigated 90 countries. Well, he was with me investigating. He wanted to see where it all happened on the river in 2015. But he wrote a book called Reality Denied, and it's his experience with me. The whole second chapter was about us being on the Cape Fear River, and I told him, John, I just stopped him. We'd been together all evening, right? We're standing out under the stars, and my daughter, Emily, is with us and his wife, Victoria. We're looking up at the southern sky. I said, John, they're here right now. And within 10 seconds, it appeared in front of us. And it didn't fly over. It just appeared poof, out of thin air and flashed about five times and then shot off to the south. He was the right one to share that with. That opened a lot of doors with government. Can you speak a bit about the different agencies that have been working with slash investigating your dad? And what was that like? Because reading the book was crazy. And then listening to your podcast, you talk about just, you know, you're just a teenage boy playing his video games on the couch and then like, knock, 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 the government's at your door. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, it's important to mention that um, in addition to John, it's happened many times. It doesn't matter what agency has shown up at every single time in if we look back at this as history, right, because that's what it is, what has happened is history. If we look back at the entire 17-year history of our journey with these beings, every single time at the crossroads of destiny when these beings needed to participate and appear and kind of like have our backs and show up to baffle the minds of these DOD investigators, it has happened 100% of the time. I mean, would you say that's correct, Dad? Yeah, every time. There's never been a government witness here that I know of that didn't experience it. 
and and Molly, I think you can understand that pretty well because I would say, in addition to DoD investigators, people such as yourself and people with a platform who can educate people on this, in my mind, are just as important, if not more. Just like you saw with you and your husband, it appeared, and yep. every time that we've needed it to, it has appeared. There has actually never been an instance, in my opinion, that they didn't appear. So that that's my point is, you know, I was just commenting before I get into your question, I wanted to comment on what you guys were just talking about. The Bledsoe's are far ahead what the rest of the world knows. I don't mean to sound cocky. I'm just saying it is the truth that we are daily experiencing this thing. We have this connection with these divine beings that I think that the rest of the world is slowly coming around to understand that that it's serious and it's real and it's a, a daily occurrence that, that we are very desensitized to. But my point is what's so mind-blowing particularly is not only dad's connection to these beings neurologically, but if you really think about it for a moment and you saw this firsthand, it's the it's that the beings are participating. If these entities weren't supporting us, as you saw with your own eyes and your own ears, dad said they're going to show up at nine o'clock. Now, if they didn't support us, if they didn't believe in us and didn't have our back, they wouldn't have shown up at nine o'clock. It's not that dad is a genie and he's waving his wand and these beings are under his spell, but it's rather that they are consciously participating with what he is saying and what he is demonstrating, right? So we have to give them where credit is due. To answer your question, it was very weird. Yes, I was 15 years old by the time government started literally knocking on the door because just for the quick timeline's sake here, the experiences started when I was 13, documentary, the first one, not the History Channel, but the Discovery, started filming when I was 14 during the summer. And then at the end of the summer, it was completed. I turned 15 and then it comes out a couple months later. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of odd timing there, like, you know, half a year when this stuff starts right around my birthday. So my age is, it wasn't two years. It was just where my birthday was. So by the time I'm 15 years old, this documentary comes out, all the kids at school, they're getting their laugh. Some are serious. Some are coming to me saying they've seen things. Some of the teachers are holding me behind after class saying you and your dad and your family are so brave. I saw something when I was a little girl. I never talked about it again. One teacher did make me stand up in front of the class and tell the story to a room full of 30 laughs and giggles and, you know, mocking and, and those kinds of things did happen. Where I think it all really kicked off is, Dad, I can't remember when Hal came. I can't remember what time of the year it was, but I know I was 15 years old. I was playing Fallout 3 in my pajamas on like a Saturday morning. And Dad's, no, it couldn't have been a Saturday. It must have been summer because I wasn't at mm -hmm. school, but it was a weekday. I know that because you were gone. You were out and about doing things. Anyway, we hear a, a, a doorbell ring. For some reason, my brothers are gone. My sister's gone. I'm like the only kid home and my mom's home. I, I don't remember why. doesn't matter. So I go and I answer the door and it's this six foot plus tall man with a, with a laminate on his chest that says NASA. He actually didn't even get your name right, which is a detail that, that nobody knows. But he says, I'm looking for Chris Beldso. I said, oh, that's that's my dad. He's he's busy. Let, you know, and I go get my mom. I'm like, someone from NASA's here. And she's like, bring him in. We'll entertain him until your father gets home for the rest of my life to this day. November 6th and 30 years old. We're still daily interacting with these people, whether it's dad having communication or whatever. It never went away. The frequency of communication with these intelligence officials, it never stopped. It only ever ramped up in intensity. And, you know, to take it to the other side of the coin with the beings, I think the longest time that our family has not seen any sort of supernatural manifestation or entity or what have you, probably the longest period of time was a month. Does that sound right, Dad? Maybe in the early days, maybe a month went by and we were wondering if they'd ever come back. Way back 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. In the very beginning, it was maybe a month and we're like, will we ever see him again? And then here we are now and it's TV cameras are on his face and they're saying, all right, demonstrate it. Poof, they appear. We've had a very shocking level of progression with these experiences coming home from school on a weekday. And there's a, a gentleman from NASA who 
I volunteered my bedroom for him to stay for the weekend and I'm on the couch and we're having dinner with NASA. And then by the time I'm 18, CIA is coming around and Homeland Security and, you know, eventually people from NSA are reaching out to us, Army Intelligence, Vatican, Jesuit priests, Air Force Intelligence, any agency that you can think of, they have gotten their toes wet dipping into the Bledsoe experiences. It's not that we're working with the government, it's that we are working with the phenomenon. And the people in the government are very interested to come to us and learn information and see what it is that the phenomenon wants. Dad raised me very well on uh, Southern hospitality. When people come knocking on the door, whether they, ha they have a CIA lapel or not, you let them in and you make them a cup of coffee and you see what they're about. And that's, that's yeah. the reality of it. You know, there's a lot of conspiracies about why are we so in bed with the CIA or this one or that one. The reality is they knocked and, and many of them were friendly and we said, come in. We're living in a, a culture and time right now where everyone is so dualistic. They want to see everything as black and white, good or bad, whether you are someone who believes, oh, it's the government, so it has to be good, or oh, it's the government, so they're all bad. There are people in the government, there are people in every single three-letter agency in existence that are really good people that got into these positions because they want to help and some of them want this information to be out and then there are people in every single institution that don't want information to be out and that it it benefits them if this information stays quiet because it keeps people servile it keeps people afraid and also just keeping the status quo right if you're in power and this information is very empowering for people it's just better off it doesn't even have to be as nefarious as wanting to like murder everyone it's just the fact that it's like yeah we'd rather not this come out because it's going to shake up the systems and people don't like that i wish people would have a more critical eye on this kind of thing i'd love to hear you both kind of respond to that because there's going to be people listening that are in both camps how has your experience with these agencies and working with different people obviously only to the amount that you can share these things as well. There are good guys, bad guys, but there are also just people that are messy and trying to figure this out. I'd love to hear you both kind of reflect on that because I don't think that's something that's talked about enough. Yeah. I agree. I'll take this for a minute, Ryan. Thinking back that many years ago when NASA first came, first person from NASA, we were terrified to begin with because Reporting to the MUFON UFO network, that opened the door to all the local UFO buffs to come and wanted to come and see what happened. And I entertained everybody. And before we knew it, we had people in the house telling my kids that the men in black were coming. They were, don't talk to the government. They're going to kill you. John Alexander, he's going to kill you. I've had, I've had a dozen people tell me that. And I hug him because I love John. We all love John. He's a big bear hug, right? He's government as government can be. But what we found out was that it was actually the people and the church community and just the regular community that was the worst of all the suffering caused by outside interference. It was the people. It wasn't the government. It was the government officials that came in truly wanting to understand what happened wanting to study it if they can get a chance. They don't know what everybody thinks they know. I can tell you straight up, in my best opinion, they don't have all of what the world perceives them to have and all the information. They really don't know because it's conscience-based. It's, it's very elusive. In fact, I asked the, the second NASA scientist that came, why are you here? Why are you bothering my family? I'm just an old country boy from North Carolina, a father of four terrorized by afraid the government's going to kill us you know we've been told that 
and and you're here and that ain't making me very happy that's kind of what i told the guy and he said look we're here because we know you're it, it likes you we see it we see it all the time but it has nothing to do with us whatsoever so we'd like to know why it picked you why it likes you so if you will allow us to study it we will let you in the door on a few things, but you can't talk about it. I hope you don't mind me interjecting here because uh -huh. I think people that are familiar with this stuff, they'll say, oh, well, the government supposedly, big, huge air quotes for listeners just listening, they have bodies. They've reversed engineered craft, apparently. If that were the case, and maybe it is, maybe it's not, we don't know. Why are they so interested in your experiences? Because if they do have information, clearly it's information that's been gotten by crashes or by force. You are unique in the fact that this is happening to you spontaneously and you have a connection with it. Well, see, the government can see it. I can tell you that. They can see it. They have Raytheon as these new radar things that they can see them when you can't see them by eye. They know they're there. But that's it. They, they can see it. But, and their pilots in the military fly along and one plays dart and dodge. But that's it. They see it. They get a visual on it. They don't know anything about it at all. They're, they're limited into what. But here's a guy that reported a 45-foot-long football, which is the Tic Tac. They were chasing the Tic Tac off the North Carolina coast in 04, 05, 06. And here in 07, this guy calls and says, there's a 45-foot, 50-foot-long football hovering in the highway in front of him. It took him for four hours. So he's been inside of one, right? So that got the government watching me. They know that, bingo, there's our connection to this phenomenon. And so ever since... Um, one of the highest ranking NASA physicists is coming to my house in two, three weeks. You know, why are they coming here still? It's 2023. I'm still working with NASA and DIA, DOD. I've had SES 19 here from the DOD just a, a couple of months ago. Whole family here. And they all got to see. So if, if they had barns full of this equipment, they had all these bodies and they had all this data, they sure wouldn't care about me. That ought to be a big clue for everybody right yeah. there. And I, I appreciate the people and the government that I've dealt with. Um, they've been mighty kind to my family and um, we're still working with them and I'll continue to do so. Whatever they need from me, this is about learning. Um, I'm tangled up in the academic world. It's amazing what's happening there because 15 years ago, I met one academic uh, about 10, 11 years ago, uh, Dr. Pasalka, and she was all over the place. She was asked to report on this, but she didn't want to touch it for her career. And for several years, she she would, I don't want to do this. I want to do this. I don't want to do this. And she was on and off about it. And finally, she wrote a book about it. But now there are, are college programs that were created 18 months ago there are phds there's a study with 20 phds on a program to get their phd and and this is happening right now right like this is history that we're witnessing and i'm a part of that it's amazing where phd students can come to me and count <laughs> that part of their study to their grade that must be yeah. a trip for you. I'm on a, I just was elected part of an advisory board now with a whole list of PhDs. Well, let's just say it's the California Human uh, Institute for Human Sciences. So wow. 
That's just a country big. boy from North Carolina. You're just like, just, it's so funny, you know, like, yeah. do you have anything you want to share about all that, Ryan? Any reflections before I go on to the next question? I want to give you some space to respond to. Yeah, sure. I appreciate that. I just feel like out there in the world, there is this big delusional force of paranoia that I feel has swept over the minds of your everyday ordinary person who has no clue what's really going on. And I say that because you can just look on social media and you'll see a thousand posts of people being like, the whole government is evil. This person's evil. That person's evil. Conspiracy, this conspiracy, that. A lot of that may be true. A lot of conspiracy stuff may be true. But the point is, I think that people have gone way too far into this extreme heightened state of paranoia. And I just have to say, let's let's talk fact. Let's talk common sense. I'm only interested in dealing with the truth. I'm only interested in dealing with what's real and what's actually happening. And what is actually happening is that there are good people that exist in these institutions that have come to our family in private and they said, you know, hey, I'm with the CIA. There's this program. We're studying this stuff. We really just want to we just want to know what's happening. We just want to find out what's happening. There are some very good people in these institutions. Are they all good? No. Not any that we necessarily associate with, but some of them have been bad. Some of them have made death threats or have made some very nasty comments or have tried to silence or suppress us. So it's like, again, let's 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 deal in reality here. It's not just black and white. You can't say that millions of government employees are all bad. What about the mail delivery person? What about the teacher? What about the the cop. What about the firefighter? I mean, there's a lot of really good people in the government too. And it stands to reason that, you know, there's a million little incidences in the crossroads of someone's personal path of destiny that could allow them to get into a position of power in an institution that might not always have things going on that are all good, but there can still be good people in these positions. It's delusional, it's paranoid, and it's silly to think that it's all bad, it's all black and white. And, and this and that and the other. Am I saying that we should all blindly believe in these institutions? No, but there are good people. They have helped our family. They have quieted a lot of our fears. Some of them are responsible for helping us feel grounded in, in the fact that we can tell our story and that there are people who take us seriously and believe us. And a lot of these people in these institutions are responsible for bringing some of this cutting edge technology to try to get the data and show it to the world. What I want to leave people with is my favorite example of this kind of scenario that is taking place. And truly we've lived it without the assault rifles and the Hummers and the, the, you know, the machine guns on the back and these action scenes. But we have lived the scenario in Stranger Things season four, where you see this part where Eleven has lost her powers. She's been whisked away to some facility. And there's like one element of the government that's like trying to kill her. And then the other element is like, we really just want to help her get her powers back. You know what I'm saying? And like, that's, that's the reality of what's going on. There are elements of these institutions that are good. And then there are those that are bad. It's just the way it is. We're talking about intelligence organizations that exist beyond governments. They exist beyond countries. Mm. They, they are these entirely separate entities. That's just all I want to leave with people is that there are good yeah. and there are bad. We're very blessed. The Bledsoe family has dealt with some who have been particularly kind and are particularly interested in helping us tell our story. Speaking from experience, having been in your home and your family is just so authentic and real. And it wouldn't surprise me that people that meet you and then they witness it with you, you guys are the archetype of like Southern hospitality. And who wouldn't be won over by that? Now that we talked about all this fear and paranoia, the thing that sets your family's experiences apart is these powerful messages of positivity that you've received from this intelligence beings. Chris has already mentioned 
I hate the fact that we even have to use words to describe it, right? Because we don't know. You guys tend to say the phenomena, and I'll use that phrasing myself. Ever since reading Chris's book, I didn't do a lot of UFO research, but I, I went down the rabbit hole and researched some different experiences. And if you go digging, you can find various different occurrences that have very similar, hopeful, positive, but also with an edge of warning messages from different experiences. For example, the aerial uh, school sighting in Zimbabwe in 1994, these school children witnessed these beings that had a very similar message of hope and unity, but also warning us to take care of the planet. These stories that you have in your experiences have many layers. You do have some of the more classic elements of seeing like a craft or orbs, but it seems like more people are interested in one part of your story. You know, even hearing interviews sometimes it's like they want to hear about the beings, they want to hear about UFOs. How has this selective focus how kind of affected your guys' ability to share the whole narrative, right? What's it like to kind of be spoken to about it and they just want to hear the UAP, the UFO, the beings, but then when you start talking about the more spiritual nature and mystical nature of these experiences, I've read and heard you both share in interviews that there can almost be heckling and people shutting down at this stuff. I'd love to hear you respond to that. Well, I've dealt with that this whole time because think about it, it's, it's easier now. 16 and a half years ago, when I reported this thing, I sat down and I wrote it out and I, I rewrote it and I wrote it and I redid it for two weeks before I sent it, trying to find the right words to use to describe what it was that happened. And so I had to really sit back and think about this thing. Why did they come? Why were they here? I was sick. I was sad. I was crying out. I was praying. I was praying, God help me. I don't like thinking the things I'm thinking. I was in a million dollar house with a giant pool in the back. And now I'm in a mobile home with no kitchen cabinets, no ability to feed my children. But I was applying for free school lunches. Now think about that. That's where I was. And I'm sick with Crohn's and I'm trying to figure out how am I going to work and support my kids? What do I do, God? And that's when these balls of fire came. Immediately when I reported it, they asked me, what do you think it was? I said, angels, the angels from the Bible, the same thing. Oh, well, that's just too much for us. They didn't want to hear that. They wanted to hear it was uh, some monstrous alien come with an anal probe and tools to do me in, right? That's what they wanted to hear. And if I'd have said that, I'd been all over television already. I'd be famous. But instead, I said, no, it was a very spiritual thing. I was sick. Now I'm not. I'm worse off now than I was in the community because I sold what I believed was real and, and what happened. And so now uh, everybody rejected me from the reporting agency right on down through the whole UFO world. Oh, no, it's physical aliens with uh, S-32B star cruisers from the Galactic Federation. This, the whole UFO world was like that. All of them. There were nobody. That many years ago, 15 years ago, in the spiritual aspect, it was all nuts and bolts. And I called them all out and they would get mad at me. being on Facebook with a lot of these people. They would give their spill. I would put it's spiritual. I would, I would, mm -hmm. uh, Ryan calls it gaslighting or whatever you call it. I was oh, good at, at doing that to people saying, no, wake up, it's spiritual. 
And so fast forward 16 and a half years later, now the government and everybody knows it's conscience-based, which means it's spiritual-based. Well, it's because now they're starting to see the, you know, the metaphysical quantum kind of aspects to all this, whereas before we weren't ready for that. It's interesting that you bring up the scapegoating because as you both know, I did a deep dive on scapegoating on my podcast. There's even like a a certain type of abuse. Even just in the last few years, there's a woman who's writing a book about scapegoating abuse because it's, she calls it psycho, psychosocial or psychospiritual abuse. And I get it. Yeah, and I read somewhere that society, this is a quote, society tends to scapegoat individuals and groups who threaten social cohesion. This scapegoating is a unique narrative that runs through the, the, the theme of what you all have been through. You talk about those five years of darkness from you know 2007 to 2012. Ryan, this, this question is for you too, because you kind of talk about your dad's transformation, specifically around like the experience after Easter. You said in an interview that you did on your own podcast that there was something unlocked in your dad after this and that he kind of started spontaneously crying all the time and really seeing something unlock in him. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, sure. So in 2012 is is when he had the experience with the lady. And I found that particularly weird because Dad, I don't think you told any of us about it until at least a week. It was, Can you send, it, like, it was, just do a tiny synopsis of that for the listeners of the, the lady experience? This was the major turning point in my life. Five years after it all happened, I was very upset with the phenomenon because from the very beginning, I was, I was a changed person. From the very beginning, I had a purpose. It was to share this to the world, the truth that there's something greater out there than us that cares about us, that that lifted me up and saved me from what I was thinking, my sickness as well. But now I've had five years of the community and the church and everybody. They'd come to my house and get in between my kids and my family and say, your dad's dealing with the devil and bring holy water and so imagine all that, my kids coming home crying from school, my little girl. So 2012 Easter, I'd had enough. And I walked outside that night on a Saturday night before Easter, and I shouted to the heavens, I'm done with you. I'm not going to ever speak of this ever again. I appreciate you saving me and changing me and healing me, but now my kids are worse off and so why did you do this to me? Why did you even come if you knew this was going to happen? I said, so I quit. And I went in and I went to bed. Three o'clock in the morning, I wake up with this loud voice calling me. as a manly voice. It sounded like thunder. It was so loud that from a dead sleep to sitting up in the bed in one second, that's how loud and quick it was. Uh, it said a rise, a manly so next thing I know, I'm led out to, I'm fully dressed, shoes, coat, hat, everything out. At three o'clock in the morning, I'm walking out in the backyard towards my dog kennel. And next thing I know, this mighty blast of wind, the wind. And think about this. What What is the definition of the word spirit? Everybody pretends to know what spirit is. What does that mean? What's the word spirit mean? To all the listeners out there, let's do some homework. What does it mean? It means the wind. 
of Holy Spirit means the breath of God, the wind. The Ruach is the wind, the air. So this mighty wind, and it wasn't in the trees around me. It wasn't the whole place. It was right in front of me. This wind blew me backwards. And I landed on my back and rolled to my stomach, and now there's a woman there, this beautiful, glowing, magnificent, I, was it God? Was it an angel? Was it Gaia? Was it the Holy Spirit? Which I tend to believe that's what it was. It was a lady. It was this beautiful woman. And she looked at me and she said, you know why I'm here. This is your burden you have to bear. You've been called to do this and you're going to have to do what you've been called to do. And immediately with her standing there, uh, my whole life changed again, and it was immediately gratification and uh, tears and uh, this joy, this wonder. Just fill my gas tank up, right? I'm ready to go now. Because you so, were about ready to just be done with all of it at this point. I was ready to quit. And that's and why you think she showed up. Yeah, I know that's why. She told me. That's why I'm here. My guys were trying to tell you the whole time. They were with you. They've always been with you. Just like we told you, but you wouldn't listen to them. I guess the pressure got to you too much from the community, but I'm here now and I'll always be with you. And she said, furthermore, I'm going to allow you to share our presence with the world. We're going to do it with cameras and with witnesses coming to your house. We'll be here. So you just do your thing and we'll make sure it happens. And immediately, Molly, and I have all the records from 2007 to 2012. I had no photos, no videos, no nothing. And today on my cell phone alone, there's probably 18,000 photos and videos, not all of this stuff, but that tells you the magnitude, close to 4,000 videos I've gotten. On and there. you're sharing them on Instagram. People can follow you there. And the thing is, is, I know how it feels. I know how it feels to go to an Instagram page like Chris's and not know anything about the family and be like, oh, that's a satellite or, oh, you know, this is this is made up. Speaking as someone who has been in that position many times, I'm, I think I'm the archetype of person that always was like, I wanted to believe. But then I also was like, you know, there was such a skeptical side that I was just like, oh, I just wouldn't let myself believe. But then seeing that in real life, in front of my face, and listeners who've been listening to me for almost three years at this point know that I don't just have UFO experiencers on my podcast, right? I was compelled to reach out to Ryan after hearing him on a on an episode and then seeing the spiritual nature and the the way that Chris, this is about consciousness for you. This is about, you know, spirituality. It it just made me want to speak to you both. And now having experienced it firsthand and you were insistent you know before i come on the podcast i'd really love it if you would come out and see it for yourself who asks yeah. that and so zaz and i no questions booked a ticket and we were out there and we saw it with our two eyes so now that i follow chris on instagram and every time i see you post a video i'm like yeah i saw that i saw it <laughs> yeah. it's pretty it is absolutely amazing this makes me want to talk about how vindicated I imagine you all feel right now. And this question is for Ryan. 
you all had a documentary created about your family. It was like the match that lit the flame of a lot of the scapegoating. You were led to believe that, was it MUFON or was it the Discovery Channel that, that did this documentary on your family? And you were all excited to share your story. And then it was like a bait and switch. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, it was MUFON and Discovery. I mean, I just remember being, you know, 14 years old, a very hopeful, optimistic kid. And, and, you know, kids are really gullible. They believe what adults are telling them. And I just remember them coming and telling us like, you know, we're going to be heroes. They're going to, sh they're going to show our story to the world. It's the most important UFO story. We're, we're going to be believed and we're going to be supported. And then, you know, the way it was edited and the way it was framed, the case was the opposite and, and we weren't made to look so good. And we were really not made to feel so good. The conclusion of the show that they aired was that we were not truthful, you know, that, that dad was not telling the truth with this lie detector test. But the reality is far from that. The reality is that they, how can I say it, dad? They, it sounded they, like they, they like deprived him of like, they were questioning him for so many hours where you were so worn down. It was like, like waterboarding. On a lie detector test, you're supposed to get three to four questions. They gave me 34 questions for two hours. It was all a setup. Yep. Even my friends in the CIA, the guy that wrote the forward in my book is a clandestine director of operations for the CIA. He's a big will. Jim Simivan, right? Lord. Yeah. And he even told me when he first met me, he said, Chris, I felt so sorry for you. He said, I couldn't meet you personally because I was in the job I was working at then. I was not allowed to talk to you. He said, but I knew the report as soon as it happened. And I knew it was a hack job that they intentionally did you and your family. And he said, now I'm here today because I overtly retired and now I can come meet you. And that's what my friend that wrote the forward in my book said. Why do you think they did that? Because they could have had an amazing episode where they shared your story. What did they have to gain by so blatantly trying to make you all look bad? They were just doing their job. Because the UFO subject was highly classified in 2007. They didn't declassify it. They released a little bit of, in 2016, but it was 2020 before they really actually announced it publicly to the world. But before then, it was the most classified thing, even over the atomic bomb. It was that classified. Even though they were denying, we don't investigate, we have nothing to do with it. Trust me, they were doing it all and they had it classified. They didn't want anybody to know. Why do you think it was so classified? Because I've heard, and for whatever anyone thinks about him, Lou Elizondo, right? Someone who's all over the discourse of this stuff. I've heard him quoted as saying, you know, it would disrupt the social fabric too much for this information to come out. Why do you think for so long and even still now, because the fact is, it's like, there has not been full disclosure. We've gotten such a tiny sliver of just like, yeah, we're not alone in the universe. And for most of us, it's like, yeah, fucking duh. So why was it so tightly held? For the main reason is two, three reasons behind it. One is this national security. That's the, the number one reason. All the government people, they're going to tend towards national security. And that's why they'll actually try to label it disruptive or dark or anything they can to steer people away. 
Number two, there are a lot of religious fundamentalists in the government, and their brain is wired to think from childhood that anything that's not in the normal is the devil. Whether there is such a thing or not, we don't know, but they automatically resort to, that. oh, it's the devil. So you got a good portion of the government thinks that way. And who are they influenced by? The church. And for anybody to not think that the church is not involved in this, even through the government, you need to look again. Because I'm telling you, it is highly involved by two or three different churches. Without saying their names or who they are, I can tell you I've been involved with church people in a big way. They don't want this information out. Will it cause them to lose control? Will it cause people to fall away from the church? Will it cause people to awaken? Yeah, whatever the reason, there's the church, there's national security, there's the unknown completely. But the, the religious fundamentalists, they're pretty powerful in our government, and they're holding it back. And just and like any people, anything with the government too, right, there are people up in a, the highest level of spirituality that also share your very unitive perspective of all of this, but it's almost like the government too, right? There are people that don't want it out. And if I'm really playing devil's advocate here, I'm curious to know what you all think about this. If I'm in a position of power and I genuinely want to keep people safe, maybe I would be worried about some of this stuff coming out. Some people right now are operating, and I would argue to say the majority of people are operating at such a low level of conscious understanding. They're living where the only thing that's real is this thing right in front of them that they can see, touch, and smell, even people that aren't religious. And if you come out with this, this paradigm-shifting information, what does that do to the social fabric? Does mass chaos break out? Are people going to, you know, we don't actually don't know what would happen. And so I'm, do you think that there's somehow like people having like that feeling too? I'll tell you what I, I have stood by this from, from the beginning. It's not the people that there won't be mass confusion. This thing Lou talks about social dysfunction or breakdown or whatever. I don't know what he's thinking about. Listen. If they walk out the bar and they bring out an alien and they introduce him to the world and his flying saucers on the White House lawn, everybody will look all poof and they go to fishing tomorrow. <laughs> they go back to their wedding tomorrow. They go back to doing what they do. And they might tell a friend, say, go look, they got an alien, right? That's how much chaos it would cause in this country. The real chaos, the real social breakdown, the real problem doesn't lie with the people. It lies with the academic world. When you take all these PhDs that have studied all their life, they're atheists. There's no such thing. There is nothing. If you can't see it, it doesn't exist, even though you can't see the wind, but they know it's real, right? That's it's such just, a powerful point about that. There are so many things that happen, even in our own bodies, our own hormonal functions and things that are happening that we can't see, but right. we know that it's going on without our conscious awareness. So what happens to all these uh, scientists that have been taught or they teach evolution mm -hmm. and the Big Bang and all these uh, theories of uh, enough time the, the world could create itself? That's what they believe. They have no answers. They teach this. It's an easy way to get out of any answers. That's evolution. 
It's the same reason why Graham Hancock's work, someone like him, is making all the archaeologists so up in arms. Nobody wants to redo their homework. Everybody has these very, very set theories of this is the way it is. And it doesn't mean there aren't threads of truth to it. The spiritual sauce has been drained out of everything. So what happens to these people that are teaching these classes? Are they are they uh, are they qualified to teach anymore? What's yeah. going to happen? This is yeah. where the breakdown will come from. Is from the the, the academic world. They got they got to rewrite it all. They have to start the books over. Get rid of Darwin. That that guy was what three hundred years ago, writing on a piece of paper on on a leather. Yeah sitting on a rock in, in Madagascar somewhere, and they still teach that <laughs> 300 years later. Like, that's that's it, right? Come on. We really don't know. I just had a guest on the other day, uh, Sarah Mergen. She runs a, a, a meme account. She's into Carl Jung. But it's like we, our whole theme of our interview was we don't know what we don't know, and so many people are deeply uncomfortable with just not knowing. Right. What do you think about all this, Ryan? Jim Simivan told me to my face that the reason they haven't come out and said all this stuff is because if they did, they would lose continuity of government because everyone would realize they've been hiding it the whole time. They don't want the angry mobs of pitchforks at them. So they're kind of of the opinion like, you know, particularly with Jim, well, we're, we're just going to help Chris tell it because we can't do it. We don't know how to do it. We're afraid to do it. We don't know what to do. And then you have another element that's going out and they're going on Congress and they're saying, I have a slip of paper. It says I have bodies with eggs in them and ray guns and they've harmed people. And I haven't actually seen anything. I'm just reading from a dossier that was slipped to me by my superior. So there's this whole big confusing orchestration of disclosure. To say what you said earlier, that you don't believe uh, full disclosure has happened, I disagree. I think mm -hmm. it's already started and it started in 2008 when my dad went forward publicly. Because the reality is everything he said is the truth. It is being demonstrated. It is happening. It is being studied. The public's just not aware of it yet. But I'm telling you, like, the reality of what we're dealing with here is just as everyday normal as Joe down the street who went to Food Line and bought a gallon of milk. And I was with you guys, right? Like, you're just going about your daily lives and then going out and sky watching and seeing this stuff. And that's the thing that I'm trying to understand. It's like, we can coexist. Like, we already are. It doesn't have to transform your your daily life but what it can do is inspire awe that's what it did for me but chris to your point it's so true zaz and i on our flight back from north carolina i talked about this on ryan's podcast zaz and i just sat like we we couldn't even talk the the whole flight back we had two flights back here to texas and we were just going like we, we didn't we couldn't even look at our phones like social media just seemed so stupid we were just going like how do we even reframe this? But then guess how fast we just settled right back into the same old bullshit of daily life. And sometimes Zaz and I have to really sit. He, We were getting kind of depressed the other day and sinking back into our sadness. And I was like, do you remember that last month we literally saw freaking the most amazing, like life-changing experience that we've ever had? And we're like, whoa, it's crazy how quickly you just go back to three-dimensional reality we can only stand to benefit from being more aware of of that and having that be a more consistent part of our reality. That's the awakening. And to be honest with you, it does change our daily perception. Growing up with my dad, dad was 46 when this stuff started. I was 13. Our cognitive development along these experiences, I, I, as we can all imagine, is probably different. 
Whereas dad is a, is a man with four children and a wife and all these crazy responsibilities while he's navigating these experiences. I'm a little boy still trying to learn what the world means. So we, we've, we've gained different insights from these things. And what I will tell you that growing up, seeing these entities over and over and over and over and over again, what it has informed me to understand is that there is another dimension right next to you. Just like if you get an electron microscope and you peer down into the marvelous dimension of the cells that are existing in your arm by the trillions, there's an invisible dimension that's all around you all the time with these entities, and they are aware of you. Molly, when you came to our house and you were seeking an experience and you saw these beings, they weren't strangers to you. You were strangers to them. They knew of you. They were aware that you were coming probably before time even began, everything that ever happens in the history of mankind, these beings are aware of everything. They're omniscient. They exist in a dimension that is outside of time, outside of space. They are all-knowing, and the more you see them, the more you interact with them, the more you start to sort of like look over your metaphysical shoulder and realize, wow, I should be good. I should be honest. I should be truthful because there really is another world of the soul where things, processes are occurring in this other world, just like processes are occurring in the molecular world inside your body at every moment in time. There's a there's a spiritual world. And it's just as simple as, right, you put good food in your body, you feel good. You sharing, saying, I want to act with integrity. I want to be a good person and encourage you to do that. It's not in that shaming sky daddy, punitive, authoritarian, religious way. It's like a we are working in cohesion with with the whole process. Yeah. Right. We know the truth yeah. that there is another world. We have to be spiritual in this world and be kind and compassionate and loving because things occur. You could call it karma. You could call it whatever. All that stuff is real. All these spiritual laws are real. That's what you learn from daily interacting with these entities. And that changes how you move through the world. I'd love to hear what are your reflections on that, Chris? Well, it's a relationship for me. It's the most personal thing for me to imagine to walk outside tonight, which I will tonight. I'll take my little camera, walk out, and I'll say a prayer, usually for my children first and for everybody else that's reached out that's sick. I have hundreds of people that are always reaching out that are sick. So I go through these every time at night. And to see the sky light up, when I do this, changes you. I don't care who you are on this earth. When you can walk out and you can call on them and they come and they affect your life and they affect the sick people around you and they manifest things good in your life, this is what can happen from this. And so it's not hard for you to see it. I just have to introduce you to it. They don't want to take our free will away. That's why they're so elusive. But if you seek, that personal relationship. I think it's a lot like the biblical thing. In the religious world, you got to go pay. You got to pay for it. Or you got to go to a priest and ask them to forgive yeah. you or whatever. They have to have be the intermediary between you and God, right? And the whole idea of a mystic, the reason why mystics were burnt at the stake is because they showed that you could have a direct experience with divinity, with higher consciousness. They didn't have the language for this at that time, but mystics right. did, but they were just far ahead of their time. I just had Dr. Larry Burke on the podcast, who I found from Ryan, and he talked about on our episode about how the doctor that invented washing your hands 
before helping deliver babies, he was seen as the biggest heretic. And then now, of course, because this was before germ theory, right? We didn't know about right. germs. It's the same reason why half the world's population or Europe's population died during the Black Death because they were living in such disgusting yeah. conditions and it made the perfect toxic soup for a plague to just wipe everyone out. The problem is, is that you can't see when you're in those eras. And we're in that era right now, many of us viewing this stuff as crazy cuckoo, just like the doctor was seen as crazy cuckoo for like, let me wash my hands before I deliver a brand new baby. I'm wondering why all the women and babies are dying when I have dirty hands. But there's not really a question there. It's just that's what comes up for me when I hear you both share that. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's just everybody's blind right now, but we'll all see sooner or later. The phenomenon's waking us up. They want to wake us up. And one thing for the listeners, Molly, that's so important to know, after 16 and a half years, I have a lot of people like yourself that I've met and shared this with, and a lot of people that I have met through email. I have probably 2,000 emails right now. I haven't even gone through it. That's how crazy it gets. But everybody writes me and they tell me about their story. They, they never would tell it publicly because of stigmatism. But after my book, it's, it's really opened the floodgates for 80-year-old women and, and older and men and young people wanting to tell me their story. So many young ladies, young women, I have never had no clue how much suffering uh, th these young women that had about bad childhoods, sexual abuse, and they get to a point in their life where they just it, they're about to, it's about to kill them. So they had these terrible sufferings and stuff, and then they begin to see orbs. Or this eighty-year-old lady that her husband died, and two days later, there's orbs in her bedroom, and she's freaked out. Oh my God, it's a UFO, or there was a UFO over my house. What does it mean? Well, it was probably your husband. It was probably your grandpa or your dad. The reason it comes is suffering. Of all those words I just said, it, it comes down to one thing: Why do people have these experiences? Ninety-nine percent of all of them tell me that trauma. they've had trauma from childhood to losing a husband a wife a son a daughter losing their job in their home so much trauma so that's fitting for why they're coming in such big numbers now because there's a lot of trauma happening in this world and they're on high alert that's just my opinion the next piece that i want to discuss with you and chris it's the perfect segue because you talked about trauma and how a lot of there's such a connection between these experiences and really deep psychological suffering. And your experiences are not only spiritual, but they do connect with trauma. Gabor Mate is one of my favorite writers, and he's written a ton about the mind-body connection and how unresolved trauma can manifest as physical ailments. When I was reading your book, I had subsequently actually just finished reading Gabor Mate's book that he co-wrote with his son. So kind of a fun little father-son connection too. his son, Daniel Mate, and they wrote a book called The Myth of Normal and highly recommend it to listeners that are listening and also the two of you, because I think you'd feel very validated by it. And all I was thinking of, it was making me think of that book when I was reading your book, Chris, because all I saw was the the marriage between this deep psychological suffering and then the falling apart of the physical health as well, right? And your son, Chris Jr., and he's not here and I don't want to 
get into his privacy too much because he's not here with us. You wrote about it in the book that he experienced serious health challenges. And for listeners, Chris Jr. is Chris's son who was there in that first experience in 2007 on the Cape Fear River. And I think a lot of that came from he didn't know where you were. He thought you were gone. So much has changed in 2007. Therapy in 2007 was go to CBT and change your thoughts, right? Take this pill. And now people are really starting to see you are perfectly placed to discuss this. You saw the nefarious nature of psychiatry. It's not like psychiatry is all bad. This podcast is all about seeing the good and bad, but it's not the fix all button that it is. We're now starting to see the impact of trauma with things like the ACE study. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. ACEs are called adverse childhood experiences, but it's also trauma. The, the higher your score, the more traumatic experiences that you've been through. They proved this in the study that you're more likely to develop arthritis or chronic autoimmune diseases later. And when I was reading your book, I thought, here it is. Here's yeah. proof that chronic scapegoating, toxic shame, public shaming, and also just all the trauma you endured growing up, this manifests in our body. So I'd love to hear you reflect on that, share more about your trauma and that healing process. And now how that's all of this has maybe changed your views on that. Back up to 2007, when it first happened, I was dealing with Crohn's disease and had for 17 years, 17 and a half years. And it magically went away. I'm the happiest person in the world now, but I'm also not. I was for a little bit, but when I got home and I told about it, it got worse. The trauma from the community and my mom and dad and family and mother-in-laws and family and friends and cousins and the whole community had me so shamed out of this community. It was hard to hold my head up. Well, I didn't even want to go to the food line. That was that bad. I wake up one day and my knees are swollen real big. And I'm like, well, I can't even walk. This is in 09, two years after this, right? This is after the Discovery Channel show come out and hell set in. That's what really caused me to want to quit at, at 2012 because that just put the icing on the cake. My knees are big as softballs. And I go to the doctor, to the emergency room. And the doctor says, oh, you have rheumatoid arthritis. I'm like, that's just arthritis. I had no clue what it was. You know, I had no clue what RA is. I just had always heard the old timers, oh, I've got the rheumatism. Well, no, you don't. You know, very few people have that. There's like 1.2 million people in the U.S. that has it, and, and a million of them are women or close to it. So it's a, mainly a woman's disease. So I went home with two shots in the knees and no referral, but I began to hurt everywhere and it got worse and it got worse and the people got worse. And as the people got worse, my disease become crisis stage. When my dad died in 2013, that really put the icing on the cake and it got to where I couldn't even walk hardly. Here I should be the happiest person in the world. But it was the community that I believe made me sick like it, like I was. And by 2020, I was in a wheelchair, either a cane to get to the bathroom or walk around room. Or if I went anywhere, I was in a wheelchair. And that's how bad it had gotten until um, COVID came. And when COVID came, I quit all my medication. I was on the pharmacy payroll. Let me tell you. They had me on $7,000 shots once a week for a long time and uh, chemotherapy, all these drugs. I was down 
to 150 pounds, uh, the most unhappy, taking painkillers every day to even function. That's where I was in 2020. My doctor calls and says, if you get COVID, you're going to probably die from it because you have no immune system. So we need to take you off of that stuff. A friend of mine in the government said, ask for Plaquenil. You should take Plaquenil. I took it. I once had RA and it's gone now. And I thought nobody gets rid of RA. It's incurable. So they put me on Plaquenil in March of 2020. That's hydroxychloroquine for anybody who wants to know. It's an anti-malaria medicine, an anti-parasitic medicine. How do you treat rheumatoid arthritis with anti-parasitic medicine when I've been on immune suppressants for seven years now and down to uh, uh, spend $77,000 a quarter in drugs, right? So all that high-powered medicine, now I'm on a $4 a month prescription. And within six months, I gained all my weight back and I began to walk without a cane. I am in remission today from RA. And it happened with a $4 pill. Or was it because I started praying? Yeah. So we'll let everybody decide. Was it the medicine that made me sick and the $4 anti-parasitic medicine? Uh, autoimmune diseases like multiple sclerosis, lupus, RA, are they caused by parasites? I think everybody should probably try that, at least think about it. I know that it very well could be caused by parasites. And why, why do you think that medicine wasn't recommended to you before? Is it because it's very little known? They've been treating it for 70 years with that medication, 80 years. But, you know, why not put you on the payroll and get you paying 20000 a month? A patient cured is a customer lost, as they say. I was on the payroll. Unreal. So I'll leave it with that. Am I in remission because of a $4 a month hydroxychloroquine prescription or was it for prayer. And that's why I always talk on the podcast of no matter what, you have to be your own best advocate when it comes to your health. Seek second opinions and really do your own research. And Ryan, I'd love to hear about you obviously witnessed your dad, just his health completely devolving. You also watched your brother, Chris Jr.'s health and mental health, both of them, you know, and I know firsthand, not only have I been in suicidal, really dark, dark places, similar to you, Chris, where I never really contemplated taking the action because I cared so much about my family and even, even my dog. I just thought I can't, I, I couldn't even imagine doing that to my family. So I just wish that I could like men in black myself out of my family's memory so that I could put myself out of my sufferings. I know that feeling. Ryan, what did you learn about trauma and resilience and the mind-body connection watching your family go through this? Did you experience any health stuff yourself? Because I've never really heard you talk about that, obviously only if you're comfortable, but I'd love to hear you talk about that because you also have gone down your own you know, metaphysical research and read so much about this stuff, so I'd love to hear your reflections. Well, I've never experienced much in the way of uh, physical manifestations of these kinds of things but i i would say mentally it was it was very tough i would imagine you know anybody living the vast majority of the first part of their life in a level of crisis it, it takes a toll on the mind and the more i go public and the more i seek to help dad and the family tell the story and come into my own with you know the podcast bledsoe said so and seek to just tell as many people as I can, I find that the happier I become. When all of this stuff started when I was 13 years old, I felt this deep inner knowing 
that someday our story was going to spread around the world. I've just always known it. Dad and I have always talked in these ways. Dad always raised me to be 10 steps ahead, always thinking about what's next, what the future holds. And like, Dad, you can recall when I was a little boy and when all of us were little kids and we would be so worried and so impatient about what's next and why this and why that, you would always say, you need to slow down because God's time works on God's time. It's different than our time. And as, as a little boy, that's something he beat into my head that like what we're doing here is not about today and tomorrow, but it's about the future. It's about working towards a future time when, when this would spread and, and everybody would be aware of this. It's pretty hard growing up being studied and poked and prodded by these intelligence agencies. And then you go to school the next day and you're laughed at. And then you talk to your aunt or your uncle or your grandma or your grandpa or whoever that you're as a child supposed to trust that, that, you know, they're the adult and they have your best interest in mind. And they say, you're lying or you're crazy. Don't talk about that. That's evil. I don't want to hear about that. It fragments your mind to where you have these two personas, right? Where on the one hand, I was pretending to be this normal person who's blending in with everybody else. But then on the other hand, my dad and I are driving to Asheville or South Carolina or wherever, going to Philly, hanging out with millionaire billionaires and CIA program directors and having these parties where people are studying us and giving us all this classified knowledge. That was my real persona. The one that going out and, and having all these larger than life, mind altering experiences. And then I come back to the other persona that's getting laughed at doing the podcast and just going forward generally as an adult trying, although I might not have always done it the right way or the best way, just trying to help. I feel like finally merged those two personas to be one individual now where I'm just like authentically who I am and who I'm supposed to be, who I was born to be. I don't, I don't know. Like I, You're I'm speaking grateful. your truth. It's so beautiful, Ryan. I mean, me and you obviously had multiple conversations now and I consider you to be a friend and I relate to your experience so much because I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but listeners know when I decided to start a podcast, I always liked podcasts, right? Like I've been an OG podcast listener, but it was almost like, it was like, Chris, I had a knowing one day I was with Zaz upstairs and I just said, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to call it back from the borderline. And I had many family, mem family members, friends say, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to be so open about your, you know, I worked in the sex work industry. I had sexual trauma. I've been very out about some of the worst times in my life, but I had this knowing that like, I'm going to speak my truth now and I don't care, like come what may, I'm going to speak my truth. And for listeners, Ryan has his own podcast, Bledsoe said so. I was a guest on it and I'm sure all my listeners are going to be going over there to listen. They have amazing content if you want to learn more about the Bledsoe's and their experiences. And Ryan has amazing guests on there. What motivated you to really start this podcast? Because it was actually a lot scarier for you to start this podcast than even me starting this podcast because you had people in, from what I understand, saying, don't you dare do this. And you were like, yeah, I'm still going to do it. <laughs> like, what was your, your experience with that? To be truthful here, when I was 18 years old, dad told me that the phenomenon had indicated to him that I would be the one to help him tell the story. And granted, I'm 30 now. This is 12 years ago, right? He said, you're going to tell the story and you're going to write the book. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't really like writing, dad. He's like, no, no, you're going to write the book. You need to get started. And 12 years go by. I never wrote a book. Dad wrote a book. It's, it's, it's an amazing eight category bestseller. But, but I think back then, maybe dad's connection wasn't as far along as it is now, because I do know that where dad's download was correct, I am helping the story. I just think that dad thought it would be a book. 
We didn't even conceive of podcasts back then. I have a funny story for you, Ryan. My first class when I was in community college, like a long time ago, I did my first two years at community college and my communications teacher, she basically said, well, I'm going to share everything I know about working in a communications field right now, but I know that I'm probably preparing you all for jobs that don't even exist yet. This was in like 2007 and 2008, ironically, the same kind of time. But funnily enough, right, she was right. Podcasts, if they were, there were RSS feeds back then, but it wasn't a thing like it is now. And so it's like your dad knew you were going to tell the story, but we didn't have language. Just like there are videos of Bill Maher like laughing on an episode with Bill Gates saying, oh, you're saying we're going to have like little devices in our hand and sharing these things called emails, laughing at things that we couldn't even conceive. And now here you are doing it. Yeah. And, and that's that's it. It was it was because, you know, for all this period of time, I, I knew that I had to help in some way, but I didn't know how. And then my friends came along and they both independently had the idea, you know, to we, we should do a podcast. We've, we've got to do this. And I, I, I pushed back on it for years actually it did come to the point to where i saw the value in it and i was like we'll do it let's go and it took us over six months of like trying to get everything in in order all the equipment all the branding the music i mean everything that is released in our podcast we have actually handcrafted in-house something else that you said every intro of my podcast i say that i try to help people perform emotional alchemy to see their symptoms as saviors as alerts from your body, mind, and spirit that are telling you when you're out of alignment, you and your dad for so long were living not able to tell your truth, not being believed. And now that you're both able to share your truth, even Chris Jr., right? Like being able to speak his truth, being believed, you see when you're living in alignment with that integrity of who you are, how it's almost like the Free. universe works with you. It's freeing, it's liberating. It's the universe. Or is it these beings? Who knows? But we only know that it's a better quality of life. Why do we even have to know the answer? All we know is that there is a flow. It's like the Tao. You're flowing with the current when you are living in alignment with your truth. I'd love to give you both space to answer this question. What would you say that your spiritual beliefs are now? Since 2007, Ryan, maybe you can start. How, how would you describe your spiritual beliefs to someone now? I have to say, in 17 years, no one has ever asked me that question. That I don't know if anyone's ever asked you that question because people don't care. But my spiritual belief is very simple. God is real. I do believe that people have lost touch with what that means. And, and people get offended by the idea of some sort of external force. We are who we are and where we are and why we are and how we are because of God. There is one universal mind. There is one universal consciousness. There is an original light. And I believe we all come from that. We can get down into the history and talk about hermetics and Gnostics and Rosicrucians and this and that, but really people can go research that later. I believe that there's one God, there's only truly one mind, and we're all just little individual fractal pieces of that. And we're all just trying to remember that. And the most important thing is Christ consciousness. The most important thing that a human being can embody is the true understanding and the inner knowing that we are all equal parts human, equal parts child of God. We are all from God. Mm -hmm. So like, why would you hurt somebody else? Why would you harm somebody else? When they're a part of you. They're a part of you. You're a part of them and you both come from the same light. I'm not a Christian. I don't go to church. I don't follow the doctrines of religion and mainstream institutions and this and that and the other. 
but I do believe that people get a funny feeling inside when they hear the word Christ. There is a force, a universal force, that maybe was a person that lived throughout every age that achieved some sort of spiritual mastery that ascended to reach the status of some enlightened spiritual being that comes back and, and helps us individually. I do believe that there is a force that comes from the spiritual place and operates in this world and helps us when we call to it. You don't have to think of it as you know going to church and being religious, but I believe that there's something to it. Obviously, I believe in angels. I've seen them thousands of times. And that's it. That's the crux of it. Golden mm -hmm. rule, don't harm others. Our purpose here is very special. Not an accident. Nothing is an accident. Everything is orchestrated by the mind of God. We're just all little different thoughts inside the mind of God. Hearing you say that, the one thing that made me think of is the phrase, we are the universe playing hide and seek with itself. How about you, Chris? How would you describe your spiritual beliefs to someone? And how has that changed since you were a young Baptist boy going to church? In North Carolina growing up, how would you describe your spiritual beliefs to someone now? I've been in the church longer than a lot of people have been alive, uh, at least 55 years. I was a deacon in the Pentecostal Holiness Church. I'm not anymore. That was years ago. But that just should tell you how deeply religious I was at one point. I studied the Bible. I listened to gospel music. I went to church three days a week, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And then other nights when you're a deacon, you have to have a part in the hospital visits. It became a job, basically. I've worked all the time at being a good church deacon. So I've children and time got me away from that, but I still live by that, what I was taught. On the river that night, praying, had been struggling and praying for weeks to see these things come out of the sky. My brain immediately went to what I studied in the Bible, the chariots of fire. And I started studying the, the Bible, probably more than most anybody you know now. Studied it for 17 years, pretty hard since this with some of the biggest scholars out there. And I've determined, basically, that what they were writing about back then is what we're reading about in the Bible. They were seeing the same thing. It's the same thing. They were calling it one thing, basically. It's all hand in hand. For the listeners, being hand in hand, as in there are descriptions of what you experienced, the phenomena, but they were just describing it as angels, Can just for listeners well, to have them understand It's that. all over the Bible. The Bible is rich with this stuff. For example, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was called Saul before he, his conversion. He was riding a horse on the way with a group of swift riders on the way to kill Christians on the road to Ephesus. And what does the scripture say? It didn't say orb, but it says a ball of white light flashed around him. An orb did. Took him to the third level of heaven, put a thorn in his side, brought him back. He thought they were demons. He fought them for the longest time. Then he heard the word of God. This is not all in the Christian Bible. Ezekiel. It says these cherubs came down out of the sky, a wheel within a wheel, just a rotating ball of light. They come down and they land, and he walks between them. What does he see? He sees a creature. The creature has four faces, like an eagle, a lion, ox, and a person. Why does it have only one human and three animals on it? Why does the deities in Egypt all are animals? When you hear people talk about it, ancient aliens, oh, there were aliens. They were the, well, no, they weren't. They were animals. They were birds. God in Egypt was a hawk. 
forces of nature. And this is what I've discovered so much that's been hidden from us. The clouds in the Bible, the word cloud was changed. And we know this mistranslated intentionally. I write about this in the book and I'm going to write more about this, but I got this from Vatican scholars told me this. They had seen it firsthand. You have clouds in the Bible that talk clouds in the Bible that are on fire. Jesus said, when I come back, I'm coming on the clouds of heaven or in the clouds of heaven, riding on them, riding in them. Moses walking across the desert with the children for 38 years, an angel appeared before them in a cloud of heaven. And so you think cloud equals phenomena equals orb? 100%. 100%. These machines, these orbs can mimic machines. I've seen them all too many times. So I'm an infant at this, Molly. I'm talking to these beings. They come in prayer when I pray. Every time I humble myself and I, the same thing I did on the river back then, that's how I do it today. I haven't changed anything. If I walked out and you were here, you come all the way from Texas and I started talking to you about football or baseball, you wouldn't see nothing. But the minute I start talking about... We were talking uh, about my sexual trauma. I was telling you about how I was worried we weren't going to see anything. And then I was telling you about my my the suffering that I'd been through and I, how I really wanted to recover from that. And then sure enough, that was like right then. And then your damn phone alarm went off and it was like <laughs> nine o'clock. And I was like, oh my God. Or was it Ryan's alarm? Oh, it was my Ryan. phone. I said it for nine o'clock. I, I was like, what the it. hell? It was just so, but it's, so it's magical. <laughs> important to read what, what dad was saying here because I felt like yeah. for a moment. Dad dad through talking to vatican scholars this is a verifiable proven fact this might not necessarily be data that's available to the public but this is the truth that in these ancient scriptures when they were talking about these beings or these deities writing on clouds we all know the history of the king james bible how it was mistranslated but the true word that was there which exists hundreds of times throughout the bible was the word ophanim which is the classification of a celestial race of angels that acted as like these divine chariots. It wasn't clouds. It wasn't weather phenomenon. They were telling you that they were seeing these glowing beings of light and these other beings would ride with them and come from them. It's all all the same thing. So what does it mean? What, What does it mean to me? I'm not a religious person anymore. I don't go to church. If it's Mother's Day, I'll go with my wife or something on that order, But or Christmas, I would. But I have a connection straight to heaven, to the heavens, and it's spiritual, and it comes through prayer. And I think everybody listening can have that same connection. All you got to do is want it. It's not going to come on its own because it won't, don't want to break your free will. But if you want a sweet, beautiful, personal relationship, you can have it. Yeah, you just have to seek and you'll find knock and the door will be up and that's in my book i think we can all have a personal relationship and i think we all need to i think that's what they want us to have i'm sure of it Uh, ever since they came they told me in 2012 when the lady come that they were going to wake us up because trouble would be coming in my lifetime and that there were people in power that were trying to bring about the end of the world but they didn't want that to happen And they were going to wake us up. And so I think that's what's happening today. The more people are in fear and the more the government comes out and talks about this stuff like they're talking about, like Lou and all of them, let them. 
because it just drives more people to me. Nobody wants to hear the negative stuff. Nobody wants to hear anal probes and spacemen with ray guns. And if you got it, prove it. Quit the speculating, bring it out and show it or stop it. Because you're just bringing fear and nobody needs to fear. This is a sensitive thing and it's about something more powerful than we are. And uh, it's a spiritual thing. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get wound up there. I get angry. No, when I-, I think this is the most important thing to end on. The two reflections, I always like let my guests share some final reflections. And I, if you don't mind, I sort of formatted them because there are two things that I want to address because I think there's going to be people listening right now who have similar experiences to yours, but they're hesitant to come forward because they're scared of the ridicule, the potential rejection, as you know, is a very real thing. Thankfully to people like you, I think the stigma is slowly starting to to ease. But what words of advice or encouragement would you both like to share? I'll give you both a chance to kind of reflect on that. What message would you offer to anyone struggling to find the courage to speak out their truth? Or maybe they don't want to come out, but they're just feeling crazy. Or what do you have to share with someone like that? Well, I would say, not that I'm trying to sell my book, but if you read my book, it will help you a lot. It'll give you courage. I can attest to that. Yeah, and you might just start seeing the phenomenon because I have had hundreds of people that have reached out and said, since I read your book, I'm seeing orbs now. And we kind of thought that might have happened, and it truly is. But reading about who's involved, how deep it goes, the people behind me, the people with me studying, it brings a reality to it. When the reality sits in, then your life begins to change. And yours did that. When you saw it, a new reality happened, right? And you're Instantly. Not it's like a fire. It spreads. They know this. The, everybody behind the scenes knows this as well. It's an amazing thing. And one thing I'll, I'll, I want to say, and then, Ryan, you can do yours, but... On July the 28th, something I've been working on since 2016, not only having the phenomenon appear here in front of you, but appear in other countries and other states and other cities simultaneously when it appears here. And we've proven that. We've proven it on television. They haven't aired it, but we proved it with cameras. We proved it with government scientists. And recently... We had a group of people in Spain. I was there. Remember, you were showing me the WhatsApp messages of this this group and playing their voice notes. I heard them sh- sending you voice notes saying, we're seeing it. And they all have Spanish accents. So like I was there and I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> there were 200 people sitting on a mountain in Spain. It was all a planned, organized event that they put on. And they all saw it within 60 seconds of me telling them. So how does it do that? How does it appear when I ask it to 2,000 miles, 3,000 miles away in Spain within seconds? You know, why does it do that? How does it do that? I was in Florida two weeks ago filming with a a podcaster down there. Orbs coming up out of the ocean. How did they hear me? And they're a mile offshore coming up out of the water. Think about that. It's mind-boggling consciousness. How? There's no limits to space or distance or time. And so it's a whole new world to look at, a whole new thought, not physical aliens. There may be that. I've never seen it. If 
they got it, bring it on. Let's see it. And then that'll stop all that. But if not, what I'm sharing here is a spiritual thing. That means spirits. They act like spirits. Is it technology? It could be. Am I going to label it? Not today. I don't want to label it, but I can tell you how it interacts, what I think. And we got a lot more study to mm. do mm. till we come to real conclusions. But it's a beautiful thing, and it has been for me. And now I see it happening with you, Molly, yeah. and <laughs> with a lot of other people. It's pretty profound. Ryan, what about you? What would you say to someone who is feeling like they're crazy, but they've been having these experiences. Maybe they haven't even seen something, they felt something, or it was so long ago, they put it out of their mind. What would you say to that person? I think that what's very important is understanding that there's not a thing that happens in this world at any moment in time that isn't recorded permanently in some other world or dimension, right? I mean, everything is observed. There was a recent Harvard study where they don't even believe that the universe exists if it's not being observed. Everything is constantly being observed. You have a level of awareness that goes beyond the five senses of your body. That little shady thing that you did a long time ago, not you, but just hypothetically, that, that you thought you were going to get away with. Oh, well, trust me. I did a lot of those things. <laughs> well, I'm not saying in general, everything we do is recorded in some other place. And I'm going to get around to your question. I'm not saying that God is above judging. I personally think that God and these beings, well, anytime I've ever seen them, they're just pure glowing light, right? I think that they are light. I think that light exists without the presence of judgment. I think that they are unconditionally loving and merciful and forgiving. And I think that the onus is on us. It's like the metaphor of Christ consciousness or Buddha consciousness. The onus is on us to constantly seek to reach some level of self-mastery or some level yeah. of vibration so that we can connect with God. I think that God and these beings are waiting on us mm -hmm. to better ourselves, to be loving and to be more kind and compassionate. But with all that being said, if what you've experienced is true, if what you've experienced really happened, there's nothing more powerful than truth. There's nothing more powerful than you telling the truth regardless of the fact that people might mock you or might criticize you or might metaphorically burn you at the stake. Well, I got to tell you, my family, the Bledsoe family, it's it's a miracle we're alive. It's a miracle that we're functioning today with the way that we retreated. And I got to tell you, truth is on your side if you live for and you serve the truth, whether or not you are always aware of that, also whether or not the people that you're even telling it to care and listen to you and take you seriously. If you have had some sort of profound encounter, first of all, be a little careful who you tell. Don't be like we were and innocently naive back in 2007, thinking everybody was going to believe because as nice as that sounds, it's just not true. If you're trying to open up to somebody, maybe start with your closest people and kind of gauge and see. My point is be empowered in the fact that you're living in truth. It's time for the people around you to match that. And, you know, if you've had some sort of bizarre encounter or experience and, and you think you're just going to walk out and tell people and they're going to be, tell me all about it. That's just not the case. It's truthfully not. And, you know, sometimes life is hard. Sometimes life sucks. And we got to kind of like pull up our pants a little bit, toughen up and, and deal with the challenges ahead. And it is challenging coming out with these experiences. It's not. Yeah. But remember, truth is on your side day when all of our souls pass on to the next place, your vibrations, your your whatever output that you put is going to be observed to be wonderful and true and kind. And those people that hated on you and mocked on you, that's their mistake and that's their future suffering because that's the way yeah. that the world works. You know, it, it does come back on us when we treat others 
negatively and with hatred and 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 with malice you know so like, right and they only suffer if you remain so close-minded and don't even want to like open your mind to anything and that's not directly in front of your face it's that in itself is creating your own suffering right because you're limiting your human experience so much my final thing that i want you all to share with the listeners is addressing the elephant in the room the skeptics if you're still listening right now if you're here with us still after this long ass conversation maybe you've already switched off but if you are a skeptic and you're still here my final question is for you to both address the skeptics because i again haven't heard a lot of space for you to do that in other interviews either some people are firmly rooted in a rational worldview or they're struggling maybe even to reconcile their spiritual beliefs genuinely like they're they're reconciling like how can i still have my beliefs in god but then they're struggling with with what you both have been through like i'm going to be seen as demonic i even have people reaching out to me i love tarot cards and they're like i really love tarot cards but i know that if i if i draw a tarot card i'm going to hell because that's a demonic practice so there's really people out there that are operating from this perspective what message or insight would you like to offer to these people to open their minds to the possibility of a reality beyond our current understanding how can they explore these concepts without feeling like they need to abandon their existing beliefs ryan do you want to start then i can let your dad finish up sure i would just say you don't know what you don't know and and first of all we all need to participate in humbling ourselves to the higher forces of the universe because there's clearly something going on that's beyond all of our fathom how shameful for anyone out there to just act like they have all the answers when truly what have they experienced going to work going home brushing their teeth going to bed what sort of evidence have you had for knowing or not knowing what is out there sure there's a lot of religious texts you know i could say i like this one i don't like this one i don't like this one whatever but my point is something is actually happening something is actually coming to our realm or dimension or whatever and is interacting with us and many others it is real the onus is on you to humble yourself and open your mind to what is actually possible not just what you think is going on truthfully I don't feel the need to like prove anything. It's already been done. The worst condition to be in, in my opinion, is atheism. Because you've really got a lot of homework to do. To just believe that nothing exists out there, well, good luck to you. I pray that you find that spiritual spark and you understand that there is something else really happening. Just humble yourself to what you don't know. To what you Become don't know. questioning, right? Get curious. Yes. Drop your ego all of the ancient wisdom traditions and mystery traditions all these spiritual bodies of knowledge that exist rule number one kill your ego let it yeah. go buddha jesus krishna zoroaster all these great sages of the ancient past and all these different cultures separated by thousands of miles or whatever kill your ego because as long as you are serving your ego to where you think you have it all figured out and you think you know what's going on and you think you know this and you think you know that well you're not going to be receptive to truth you're going to be perceptive to your little filter of what you think is going on and i and i say this very lovingly you know kill your ego start working on more humility understanding that you're not the greatest thing in the universe but that there are things out there that are not only greater than anything that we can fathom but they also created us and we're here because of them and we have to reflect on that with humility humble ourselves before the higher forces beautifully put chris i can say it really quick listen I have dealt with skeptics for 17 years and I quit dealing with them 12 years ago because you either don't know or you do know. Plain and simple. 
read my book. I can't encourage you enough to do that because once you read it and you read the players involved, I've got academic professors to yeah. CIA, to DOD people writing my book, forwards and introductions. Who gets that? That's what got me. Not only was I just so invested in the story, because I'm, I'm a skeptic. I was very deep in my, as Ryan and you know, like I love esotericism and stuff, but I, I had kind of separated it from all this. And so when I just saw the players involved, the fact that you were involved with the Vatican, you were, you know, every three letter agency, Diana Pasulka, right? Like all these people. And I was just going, okay. And then Ryan was telling me it was right around the time that the History Channel thing came out, right when I started talking to Ryan, he said, download the episode and watch it. And then Zaz and I watched that, and I'm just like, it's irrefutable. Yeah, we proved it. We changed history that night. Yes. First time in history anything like that's ever been I guess filmed. if you're a skeptic, watch that damn episode. Watch Beyond <laughs> Skinwalker Ranch on the History Channel, Season 1, Episode 8. I'm gonna. This is going to have a lot of, I'm going to link all this stuff in the episode description, but you can't watch that. If it doesn't move you from atheism to at least agnosticism, <laughs> then... I don't know. I there's no hope for your for your consciousness. There you go. I, I don't have time for skeptics. You know, I feel sorry for them because they they take the air that they know, and they're this is you're this and you're that. But they're one out of eight billion people, right? Yes. And I automatically I'm like, talk to the hand. You have no. <laughs> yeah, that's no the episode clue. title, Chris. Talk to the hand with Chris <laughs> and Ryan Bledsoe. Go home and do your homework and humble yourself and realize you're wrong. It's all correct. It's all real. It's all true. Yes. Here's the, I have the proof. We filmed it on the History Channel. Yes. My book would tell you enough that it should get you to seeking yeah. the truth. And, and for and those of the people that are out there, by the way, that are thinking, oh, Chris Bledsoe just wants me to read his book. It's like the reason why, yes, I'm... I know for a fact, after interviewing a lot of authors, the amount of money someone gets for each book sold is not crazy. And it's not making you a millionaire right now, right? Like I've been there firsthand. You're living humbly. You're being true Southern hospitality, inviting people into your home and showing them this. And I have experienced firsthand that you all are just wanting people to understand the benevolence of this, to understand that they can have a direct experience with it. And if someone asks me, Molly, can you tell me about XYZ? I'm like, I already did an episode on that. Go listen to my episode, right? It's like, that's the energy. And I'm saying this in defense of you all because I already can anticipate the things people are thinking. It's like, of course, go read his book because he put so much into it and ditto with, and I'll give Ryan as well the chance, but go listen to Ryan's episodes. They've done so much. They've shared so much. Y'all are an open book about your experiences. I'm just saying we always have been an open book. Yes, open book and damn right by the book. And he deserves to get <laughs> compensated for the effort that you've put into that. And speaking of the book, I'm which I'm going to link in the episode description, Chris, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about what's next for you? You've been a very busy person. This episode, I was, as I know, I... I know that something divinely conspired to make it to where I met you all, that I came to your house and able to break through those 3,000 million emails and messages you're all getting. So I feel so honored to be a, a small part of this story. What can listeners hope to see from you coming up? Well, I would just have to <clears throat> say that um, 
the book has been a number one bestseller for what nine or ten months now which is unheard of and mainly in religious categories religious faith and christian faith and spirits and angels and all that uh we're fixing to change the cover uh, at least the title at the top of the cover uh, that this book has been uh, is in the development of a major motion picture now so we're, we've got a movie on the way it's under development and it could be uh, a three-part series a three-part movie so it's uh, all good news and there's a lot of excitement there so and you're obviously spin. working with people that you trust on this you love the team that you're working with so that you feel like your story is going to be told in a way that it honors your experience it is by some of the best in hollywood uh yeah we can't talk details at all but what i can say is that uh, there was more than one offer there's quite a few offers I settled with the right people to do it. Why did you feel like the particular people or company that you decided to go to with this story, what made you feel like it was right? I know these people. I've known them for a long time, and they had the best ideas about it. They gave me the most leeway as far as consulting on the thing. And so it, it should turn out to be something really amazing. Obviously, that's huge. And you've been traveling. You've been doing a ton of podcast interviews. Ryan, you have too. From what I understand, you guys are just trying to get the word out there. You're getting bigger groups of people together to do these experiences. You've already said how busy you are in terms of your inbox. If listeners want to follow you, engage with what you're doing, how can they connect with you in a way that they can kind of be keeping up with what's going on? Well, the way I usually do it is point everybody to my website, which is ufoofgod.com. Mm -hmm. um, that website has um, my social media account, so you can you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram. And on Instagram, out of three to four thousand videos, I posted a couple hundred on there. So I mean, you're sharing stuff on there all the time. If people want, if you really want to just see some of these things, you can go to his Instagram and see them right now. So I think sounds like that's the best way. But it sounds like people can feel free to send you their experiences, right? But they just may not get a response because I already have a hard time keeping up with my email and I can't even imagine what it's like to have thousands of messages. It's just impossible. And then you get the guilt because you get those moving ones and you really want to respond. But you know, if you do, it's going to start a back and forth and it's just yeah. Yeah. so hard. So, so hard. I do. I deal with it every day and I want to hear everybody. And I try my best to get around to everyone. And I get a lot of people that are sick that reach out to me. And usually I will answer them first. They're first in line, the ones that have health issues. And my social media, you can follow me there. And on the website, we're going to be posting where I'll be. Like next year is already filling up. We're going to contact in the desert. We're going to Phoenix MUFON. We're going to the Cosmic Alliance thing in Greensboro. We're, we'll be all over the country next year signing books and making appearances. And we're doing more History Channel. Filming starts there in two weeks. And I can't say any more there, but there's going to be a lot there, more than wow. last year. I mean, I was, I was going like more, more. That one episode, it was like it wasn't enough. So I'm glad to hear that's... That more is coming with that. So Ryan, what about you? How can listeners follow what you're doing? What's next with you? The floor is open. Self-promote. 
appreciate it and bless you for having us on this this is a very amazing experience for me and i'm sure for dad and you you're very good at what you do so thank you for having us on i appreciate uh, that we are pretty easy to find it's just our last name bledsoe said so everywhere we have a website bledsoe said we have a patreon um in our patreon we do have an amazing discord community um and and people in there are constantly sharing experiences and insights and what they've learned and it's it's just like this now that's a safe space to share something you've gone through right yeah. so there you go yeah. that's a safe community that someone could go to and we engage in there we have events i mean it's it's not you know like we're i'm in there i'm actually in there interacting and and it's it's a lot of fun so let's have said so we have our podcast we have the website patreon this is going to be a little bit of a shocker my my co-host and i actually do have a heavy metal band called twice born like, and they're really good if you're into that kind of music because it's obviously some people are not but I, zaz and i are blown away you guys are actually really really good I, I i appreciate that and and um you know that's that's really kind i'm, I'm pretty shy about it and it is kind of like our side thing the podcast is the main thing so so i feel like you know you we need don't creative expression you know right? Yeah, we don't put a lot into pushing it because it's not like we're trying to, you know, it's not our main thing, but we do have a band. We put a lot of love into it. We make the music ourselves all in-house. Yeah, check us out, Twice Born. Sick. I'll absolutely link to that. And after we wrap, I'll get some links from you so that you can send it to me to make sure I'm sending everyone to the right place. Well, thank you both so much. You really sat down with me for a really long chat. I just feel so blessed because I feel like this is like my third amazing like sit down with the two of you. And I'm glad that I got to capture this. For my listeners, I tried so hard to encapsulate and tell the story and allow you all to really have your, using a religious phrase, your testimony, right? I use that very intentionally because I just wanted to provide a different type of sit down and chat with the two of you than you've had the opportunity to give. So I hope you both feel that you were able to share in a way that felt authentic to you. Yes. I've enjoyed every minute of it, and you just don't know how much I appreciate the questions have been great. There's a lot of interviews I haven't enjoyed doing, I can tell you. Coming from a religious background, I get attacked and all kind of stuff, but it's okay. I mean, but this has been wonderful, Molly, and I'll never forget you. We actually got to share this with you and Zaz and my family together. So that makes it even more special. So I know that we will all be in each other's lives for many, many years to come. You always have a welcome invitation back on the pod. I have no doubt you'll both be back again, especially once more exciting stuff starts happening in the movie. And But I'm glad I got on the books before things really start getting crazy because I think things are going to start really opening up for you and your family. And you all deserve every single bit of this validation and vindication that you're receiving, truly. Thank you both so much for giving so much of your time today. I can't wait for my listeners to hear this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chris and Ryan as much as I did. I hope that it's opened your mind. And for some of you, I hope that it's validated some of your own experiences and given you hope that with the bravery of families like the Bledsoe's coming forward with their truth, it will make it even easier for others to do the same. Occasionally on a really impactful interview like this, I like to take the opportunity to share a few of my own personal reflections at this point of the podcast. 
after having recorded my intro, editing the interview, and now I sit here having listened to it all over again, and a few things resonate and continue to ring in my mind. We've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about the profession of psychiatry and how it is desperately in need of a shakeup, which is happening. We are not here to shame anyone for taking medication or saying medication is all good or all bad, but Chris is a great example of how the industry of psychiatry can go deeply wrong. When someone suffering makes perfect sense, when their entire world has fallen apart and they are struggling with some of the biggest traumatic experiences of their life, to simply give someone a pill and call it a day, it's simply not good enough anymore. We are realizing the truly impactful nature of the mind-body connection. Chris is a living example of how symptoms can be saviors. His body, mind, and spirit were sending him alerts that something was deeply wrong, that he was being shamed and scapegoated, and his body was displaying those symptoms. And now, as he's able to speak his truth, along with his children being able to do the same, their health is in a dramatically better space than it was when they were in the midst of being shamed, named, and disbelieved. Another connecting thread was when people suffer and struggle and experience multiple traumatic experiences, near-death experiences, this deep trauma can open people up to a higher state of consciousness and be the precipitating factor of seeing and witnessing things that are something that we now deem high strangeness or paranormal. The Bledsoe family also are different in their narrative. They want to push against the idea that we should all somehow be deeply afraid of non-human intelligence. Their experiences have been ones of peace, interconnectedness, hope, and love. Since I wrapped my interview with Chris and Ryan, there have been some significant updates in the world of disclosure, and I want to share them with you here. We are currently in a pivotal moment of human history. I sit here recording this for you now on November 27th, 2023. In recent developments on Capitol Hill, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer alongside a bipartisan group of senators, has introduced a groundbreaking legislation that could reshape how the U.S. government handles information related to unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP, and non-human intelligence, NHI. Let's dive into the key aspects of the Schumer legislation and its potential implications. First, the Schumer legislation proposes the creation of an independent agency composed of nine members tasked with collecting, reviewing, and declassifying UAP records. If the Schumer legislation is passed, this law would require all government UFO documents to carry a presumption of immediate public disclosure, a move aimed at increasing transparency regarding decades-long government investigations into anomalous aerial phenomena. So what is the significance of this potential legislation? The importance 
of the Schumer legislation lies in its potential to lift the veil on previously undisclosed information about UFOs or NHI. The push for transparency follows the revelation of a government UFO analysis program in 2017, prompting a broader congressional investigation into unidentified anomalous phenomena. The proposed legislation seeks to address concerns that the U.S. government might be withholding vital information about the phenomena, UAP, NHI. The Bledsoe family's experiences, as recounted by Chris and Ryan, echo the challenges faced by those who come forward with extraordinary encounters. The legislation's focus on declassifying information aligns with the Bledsoe family's journey of seeking validation and understanding in the face of public skepticism and institutional resistance. Whistleblower David Grush, known for his claims about a secret UFO retrieval program, has emphasized the need for transparency as well. Grush alleges that GOP representatives Mike Turner and Mike Rogers are obstructing the disclosure bill in Congress. Why might they be doing this? The pushback against transparency raises deep questions about the motivations behind suppressing information related to non-human intelligence. So who are Mike Rogers and Mike Turner, these two United States representatives who are pushing back against the Schumer legislation? Well, Mike Dennis Rogers is an American lawyer and politician serving as the U.S. Representative for Alabama's 3rd Congressional District since 2003. He is a member of the Republican Party of Alabama, he's 65 years old, and he is a conservative Christian. Michael Ray Turner is an American politician serving as the U.S. Representative from Ohio's 10th Congressional District since 2013. He's also a member of the Republican Party. I could not find anything online about Mike Turner's religious affiliation. The broader issue illuminated by both the Schumer legislation as well as David Grush's allegations is the potential concealment of information by the U.S. government. This prompts concerns about the public's right to know, especially regarding topics that could redefine our understanding of existence, consciousness, and our place in the universe. The question arises, does our government really have the right to conceal the facts of basic reality to us? This is something all of us need to be paying very, very close attention to. Now is not the time to be shoving your head in the sand and shoving this all off as some conspiracy theory nonsense. This stuff is playing out right before our eyes in the United States government. I found a compilation of some clips of some of the members of our government who are trying to push this legislation through, as well as a small clip from David Grush's recent interview on Joe Rogan's podcast. So let's hear what some of these people are saying. The first couple of clips, you're going to be hearing the voice of Representative Tim Burchett. He is an East Tennessee native, and he's now currently the congressman representing Tennessee's 2nd District. He has been very vocal and outspoken about the members of our government who are trying to keep this stuff under wraps. So let's hear what he has to say. And I was told by leadership that it was blocked by the intelligence community, not the intelligence committee. 
of the intelligence community. And that is a very chilling effect. If you, if you read, someone can reach through the veil of government and pierce it to the point of we do not have access to something, you got to start asking yourself who the hell's in control. I suspect somebody's got somebody's ear in leadership. Again, the intelligence committee slash community, they didn't like what we did. They didn't like us. Is that the committee on, in Congress or at the Senate? Well, there's one in both, but the intelligence committee in the House didn't want it. There's all these rivalries. It's just, it just happens. I mean, it's just human nature, dude. I know. We, we touched a nerve. We really did. We asked questions about, do we think people lost their lives because of this knowledge? And the answer was in the affirmative. I'm sure more billions of dollars unchecked, and they will continue thumbing their nose at the American public. This is your military telling your elected officials what to do. This is very offensive to me. It's offensive to the American public, and we need some answers. We've requested documents. We've gone to interview pilots and been stonewalled by our Pentagon. Um, it's ridiculous. It's been going on since the 40s, and it continues to go on. So those are some recent comments from Representative Tim Burchett. Let's hear a little bit of a clip from David Grush's appearance on Joe Rogan's podcast. This particular episode was released on November 21st, 2023. What's happening in the House, from what I'm told from people on the Hill that are working the issue right now, you have the, the chair of the House Intel Committee, Mike Turner, who's blocking us uh, from Ohio, Dayton, Ohio area, right, Pat? Weird. Mm-hmm. And Right, Pat, meaning right, Patterson Air yes, Force. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Mike Rogers, which I'm kind of surprised, uh, from Alabama, who's the chair of the House Armed Services Committee. So I have a problem with Mike and Mike right now. Mike Turner, now remember, I went to his committee in December of last year. Uh, he wasn't there, but his staff and lawyers were. And of course, he goes on Fox Business after the hearing, doesn't use my names like this whistleblower. He has no idea what he's talking about. So what did Mike Turner say in that Fox Business interview? Let's hear. You know, Maria, I always love it when you have somebody who comes forward and testifies about things that they don't know anything about. I mean, the, the, the most think, striking aspect of all of the testimony was repeatedly over and over again, uh, the whistleblowers had to say, actually, I don't have any knowledge of this. Somebody else told me that. I mean, really, it, 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 this would take thousands and thousands of people for, for such an, an unbelievable uh, cover-up to, to be occurring. And for people to speak with such... Um, you know, confidence over something that they do not know is, I think, something certainly everybody needs to be concerned about. And now back to David Grush. I'm like, really? Tell me, Mike, have you ever been an intel officer or served in the military? Oh, wait, you've been the mayor of Dayton, Ohio. You were voted most corrupt person in Congress a couple years ago and pull up his PAC donors. Who are his biggest donors? Lockheed, Raytheon. Boeing. First of all, if you thought that you needed more information or wanted to talk to me personally, why didn't you call me back when I reported to your committee? And furthermore, besides blocking the bill, I'm sure you're familiar with like Representative Tim Burchette of Alabama, and he's been very outspoken on the issue. You know, he's been a champion on the Oversight Committee, and he was one of the members that I testified in public under oath regarding this. And Mike Turner is looking to fund according to staffers I've talked to in last two weeks, an opposition candidate for Tim's re-election in 2024. So why is Mike Turner going out of his way to destroy the career of a courageous Tennessee representative on the Oversight Committee? And why are you blocking a bill? Uh, if there's nothing to see here, why are Mike Rogers and Mike Turner in the House 
blocking this bill that is, in my opinion, the most important legislation for transparency in American history. And here's a short snippet of an interview with Tim Burchett where he is addressing these allegations. Well, oddly enough, a member of Congress, a chairman, apparently has been calling around the district, a very powerful chairman who has uh, a lot of friends at the Pentagon and then those departments um, has been calling around trying to get me opposition. And then the money follows, of course, the big boys, and that's that's how they do. I've been in this thing my whole life. Uh, then they'll start nitpicking little things and you'll see articles and and news stories well-placed news stories uh, you know it's got their fingerprints all over it and that's what they'll do I've, and i've actually had conversations with i guess former supporters um, who are well healed and have brought up the the ufo issue with me as they um, told me they weren't going to be going to be helping me anymore so yeah it's a real deal. I mean, I knew it going in, but um, it's a real concern for me and my family. It, it's not like I'm going to back off on it either. So it means that we're, we're closer than maybe we give ourselves credit for. Those guys who keep the secrets have a lot of power on Capitol Hill, do they not? They do. They do. And you, that's why you see people walk out, walk into here making 170000 They walk out of here worth 10 or $15 million. There's, you know, the insider trading thing. There's certain conflicts are getting ready to start and what type of conflict that'll be so you can invest in that sort of technology it's big power it's not hundreds of thousands of dollars it's millions if, it, if not billions of dollars of influence and they can you know a million dollars in a race like mine is a is a huge thing and that's that's what they do and that's how they stay in power and that's why we gotta keep fighting it just makes me madder and madder He's also appealed directly to journalists, asking them to follow the money. Here he is sharing more about that. And and I think it'd be wise for you all to start looking at some financial disclosures of some of those corporations, some of the people who do the stonewalling in this town. And that's what we're going to start doing. We're going to start talking to people. We're going to start naming names. Congress edges closer to finding out if crash retrievals have happened, if reverse engineering special access programs are real. Would you expect major pushback from the Pentagon? I mean, they clearly have kept this a secret a long time. Contractors, they have a lot of influence on Capitol Hill. Are they coming after people like you? Are they trying to thwart the committee from getting into the bottom I feel, I feel 100% they are. I feel that there's people in Congress that have been compromised. And I know I'm going to get pulled on, called on the carpet for this and say, who and how do you know this? But why do good people vote for crappy stuff? And all of a sudden, they just have a change of heart. I'll tell you how. They've been compromised. You're in some foreign country or at the bar, and then some attractive person comes up to you and giggling at your jokes and telling you how smart you are. Next thing you know, you're in bed with them in a motel room. And then, lo and behold, a week later, somebody says, hey, somebody whispers in your ear, I got footage of you with some little young thing here at this time. And I said, "I I need your help on this thing. And yeah, I think people are compromised. And I think staff are compromised. This is a billion dollar situation. Whoever has this information and this technology, as my daddy used to say, is in the catbird seat. So you can imagine that someone that is speaking as Tim Burchett is speaking is a little bit of a uh, persona non grata in the government, especially to those who are bought and paid for. Something really interesting is there was something caught on camera, and you're just going to hear the audio now, where 
Kevin McCarthy, who is an American politician, he served as the 55th Speaker of the United States House of Representatives from January to October 2023. He's a member of the Republican Party and he represents California's 20th Congressional District. Now what you're about to hear is an altercation caught on camera by a journalist of Kevin McCarthy like running into and elbowing Tim Burchett as he was giving an interview. Listen to this. Yeah, I think it went all right. Why'd you elbow me in the back, Kevin? Hey, Kevin, you got any guts? Has he done that before? No. Straight up bullying and silencing. People in positions of power, as I said, those who are bought and paid for, especially by the military industrial complex, are amping up their silencing tactics. And people like Tim Burchett are not playing any games anymore. They are fighting back. I wanted to share these reflections with you because this stuff is actively developing and many people aren't even aware, but if you've listened this far, well, now you are. And I hope by now, if you were a skeptic previously, you should be really scratching your chin and wondering if there was nothing to hide, why are there such intense efforts to put a lid on these people that are trying to seek answers? But now you have a little bit more information than you did before. And I ask you, make up your own mind. Go do your own research. Follow the money. But it seems as though the avalanche has already begun. There is a huge push for disclosure. We deserve to know the truth. Withholding information, crucial information, about non-human intelligence from society can have profound and far-reaching impacts on the collective consciousness and our societal well-being. Disclosure of information related to non-human intelligence challenges the existing paradigm of reality and our place in the universe. Understanding that we are not alone and that there may be and is non-human intelligence around us right this very second could lead to a profound shift in how we perceive ourselves and our connection to everything around us. The acknowledgement of non-human intelligence and advanced aerial phenomena can have cultural and spiritual implications. Many belief systems and cultural narratives are rooted in a human-centric worldview. Disclosure could prompt a reevaluation of these narratives and foster a more inclusive and interconnected understanding of spirituality and our existence. In addition to this, some UAPs are reported to exhibit advanced technological capabilities beyond our current understanding. Disclosing information about these phenomena could potentially unlock scientific and technological advancements that have been previously overlooked, dismissed, or deliberately withheld from us. Access to this kind of knowledge could lead to breakthroughs in energy, propulsion, and the health fields, and so much more. We deserve to know this information. It could contribute to saving our lives and the life of our planet. If there is credible evidence of NHI, it could provide a common ground for global collaboration. The shared realization that humanity is part of a larger cosmic community 
could encourage nations to work together on matters of mutual interest like environmental preservation, space exploration, and conflict resolution, which is more important now than ever before. Withholding information like this raises serious ethical concerns about the right of individuals to know about paradigm-shifting discoveries. It raises questions about transparency, accountability, and the responsibility of our governmental bodies to share knowledge that could have profound implications for human understanding. The public's trust in institutions is already eroding, and it will continue to be further eroded if we perceive that information is being deliberately withheld from us. Full disclosure can contribute to psychological and emotional well-being. By fostering a sense of trust and transparency between the government and the public it claims to serve. As we already discussed, ontological shock, that disorientation experienced when we encounter something drastically outside our worldview, could be mitigated by more gradual disclosure. Sudden revelations could lead to fear, panic, or social unrest. Gradual disclosure would allow individuals to adjust our perspectives over time. It's imperative that our governmental bodies start working together to create a plan for this to happen. Otherwise, non-human intelligence might decide to bypass them and make themselves known in a way that might be more jarring to the social fabric. And lastly, disclosure will offer reassurance to those who have had personal experiences with non-human intelligence, validating their truth. Additionally, it would foster a sense of unity among those who share an understanding that we're part of a vast and diverse cosmic community. Disclosure is not merely about revealing information. This is about navigating a collective shift in consciousness, fostering global collaboration, and respecting the right of individuals to know about our place in the cosmos. It's a step towards a more informed, interconnected, an ethically grounded society. What each of us can do is begin to talk about this, discuss it with the people we know and love, call your state representatives, especially if you're from one of the states that has representatives that are actively blocking things like the Schumer legislation. Share this episode with someone that you care about. Share it on your social media platforms. We need to begin talking about this. This is the way that change happens. So that's it for today's episode of Back from the Borderline. I hope that you enjoyed all the information that I shared with you. Don't forget to check out the episode description where you'll be able to connect with Chris and Ryan and follow their work. And if you happen to be a new listener of my work, I release episodes every single week and we explore depth psychology, consciousness, the human personality, philosophy, and finding meaning in a society devoid of myth and meaning. If you'd like to be alerted each time I drop a new episode, go ahead and follow Back from the Borderline on your favorite podcast app. You can also join the community on Instagram at Back from the Borderline. And if you'd like to support my work, you can join my Patreon community, which can be found at patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Never forget, you haven't met all of you yet. Within your weakness, your inner chaos and disorder lies your greatest strength. If only you dare to shine a light on it and transmute it. We have to get to the point where we're willing to be the fool to begin our hero's journey. 
And remember, anyone, even you, can come back from the borderline. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.